get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Yeah, and like on the ice, Again, it is maturity, but um, his anticipation is really high. You know, his uh, hockey sense is high, and, and then his fight for the puck and his battle for the puck um, is really good. Like, he doesn't – it's not an easy play for the other team to take the puck from him. And then when he's checking somebody, he's right on top of them, and he's usually breaking the play up. And he's got a nose for the net. He's always around that net. He made a great play back of the net, you know, bringing that puck out. That's that's the stuff he does. He, he's always, you know, maybe one step ahead, you know, and he knew that he had time to bring that puck out and make a play. That was Craig Berube on the fast lane yesterday with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN, where it's 11.05. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Jake Neighbors has maybe been the biggest surprise for me, Alex. Maybe that's overstating it, but I have been so incredibly impressed by what we have seen thus far from the 19-year-old former first-round pick who's been playing 9, 10 minutes per game, hasn't had a ton of ice time, but he has made the most of every moment that he's been on the ice thus far. And with Pavel Buchnevich's suspension, he was suspended officially yesterday by the NHL for the next two games. Fine. What? $140,000. Do I have that right? Uh, Something like that. Yeah. Um, he's going to be out for the next two games. There's going to be an opportunity for other guys that will now arise. And yesterday, as the blues were at morning skate, it was Jake Neighbors who took Pavel Buchnevich's spot on the second line on the left wing with Shin and Kairou. Alex, with Buchnevich out, who do you think are going to be the biggest beneficiaries of that that new opportunity that has emerged on that second line? Boy, that's, that's a good question. I, I think you'll see a lot of different guys get opportunities. I don't know how much I'd read into Jake Neighbors just being on that line yesterday because James Neal was skating with uh, the top one, and I don't even know if we'll see that. At the end of the game against the Coyotes, and I know they were double-shifting guys because they were down a forward when Buchnevich was um, kicked out, Barbashev was skating with those guys, and Barbashev actually looked pretty darn good. So I think you could see a rotation. I wouldn't be surprised if Jake Neighbors is starting with those guys later on this evening. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if they give James Neal a shot there because Jordan Cairo might shift over to the right side. Maybe he just stays on the left side after the success he just had. He was on the right side at skate yesterday. So James Neal is notoriously on the left side. Jake Neighbors can play the left side, and so can Ivan Barbashev. So I can see Craig Berube switching some things up unless a line really clicks, but to the point that you're making Jake neighbors is going to be the beneficiary of this because in my opinion, he goes from being a fourth line player to a top nine player with this move. The, the question is, do they want to get Kyle Clifford in tonight? Because Craig Bruby said on Monday, he doesn't want guys sitting around for a long period of time in the early portion of the season, which to me would say maybe Kyle Clifford's going to get in, but 
you could go back to James Neal because you're losing an offensive weapon. You might want another offensive weapon. Yeah, and it sounds like David Perron's going to be in tonight. He did not skate yesterday with the team at practice, but they said it was just a maintenance day. He's played in the first two games, fully anticipate that he'll be out there tonight. And James Neal was skating in his spot yesterday. So that's part of what makes this difficult to project because Neal drops down now, whether that be to the second line with Shin and Kairou, as you mentioned, or the fourth line where he'll be with Bozak and Costin. I think we know this much to be true. There's three spots for four players. It's neighbors, Costin, Clifford, and Neal. Those four guys are going to play either the second line left wing with Shin and Kairou or the two wings that are available to you now on uh, the fourth line with Bozak centering that one. I think I would go with neighbors, Costin, and Neal. I would like to see those three. I want to see Neil get another opportunity. And I think I would give neighbors that opportunity on that second line, at least the first one. If it doesn't go well for him in the first period, you can cycle things through. We know this, those lines get put into a blender on a normal game, much less a game where you're having a guy fill in, but let's find out what he can do. What is, what is the success rate of him getting more opportunities? Is he able to transition from a fourth line role to a second line role with those guys? You've mentioned a million times, Alex, that Craig Burby likes to have a four checker on that left wing in particular, but he, he, he constructs those lines in a specific way. Man, neighbors fits with Shin and Kairou, at least conceptually. So I would like to see that. I'd like to see him get that first opportunity. And if it goes south from there, yeah, switch it up. See what Barbashev looks like up there. Maybe you do see what Acostin looks like. Cycle those guys through. But I think he would be my first choice for that. Yeah, my gut tells me that Jake Neighbors is going to be playing with Shannon Kairou tonight just because of that playmaking ability that he created for Clem Costin's goal. But then the other part of me thinks, man, but Costin just started to light it up. And he did it because of Neighbors playing on that line. There's a million different ways you can go with this. And Craig Berube always seems to come up with the right decision but what I can tell you is I would be surprised if Kyle Clifford is not in the lineup tonight just because Barubi has stated he wants to get everyone in early on now maybe that doesn't mean Kyle Clifford's going to play this one because I don't see Vegas as notoriously what they were last year where they like to throw the body around and get physical so Kyle Clifford might not be needed there but if you do move Jake Neighbors up with Braden Chen and Jordan Cairo I'd personally love to see Barbashev stay with Thomas and Tarasenko. I think Barbashev's got to look at a little extra something in the early portion of the season. He's got goals in two games. And then that fourth line, I would like Neil Bozak and Costin because I think Costin's got this little bit of juju after totally that game. And James Neal's got that veteran presence going to the front of the net. And Tyler Bozak's Tyler Bozak. That's how I would construct them right now. But I wouldn't be upset if James Neal was skating with Braden Shen and Jordan Cairo and neighbor stays with Costin and Bozak because that's an advantage St. Louis has. Like if they have their fourth line that is capable of scoring four goals in a game or three goals in a game, that's a dangerous damn team compared to what it would be if you take away that fourth line. Yeah, I think I'd go with the kids and James Neal. I, I, I know what Kyle Clifford is. We've seen a year of it and it, it awesome was fine. It was fine. Wait, who's that? Clifford. Clifford. The big red dog? Yeah. yeah. He's a great goalie, I would Anybody imagine. Anybody else feel on a Huso tonight? You know? Just me? God, no, man. What, what are you doing? Why are we trying to I thought we were just going to get everybody involved a little bit more. You, know? <laughs> you, ever, you ever seen the movie Mean Girls? Third grade soccer team. Yeah, we're just going to yeah, go ahead and get yeah. everybody yeah. equal playing you time. You ever seen the movie Mean Girls, T-Bone? No. Really? Really? I don't think so. Oh, they, that, that's, that's homework for you. Yeah. Maybe not tonight. Um, it's a late weekend. game, yeah. Tonight, watch well, Mean Girls. Well, well, the Pacers play tonight. Opening night? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, well, like watch the Pacers score watch 40 Mean points. points tonight. No, I, 
we know what Kyle Clifford looks like in this lineup. I want to find out what James Neal is. And it was okay. A little underwhelming in that first opportunity for him. I want to see more extended opportunities for him. He's here for a reason. He has more dynamism on the ice than a guy like Kyle Clifford. He's shown in the in his past a history of scoring goals. Let's find out what that looks like. Let's give him some more opportunities early in the year. And then if it doesn't go well, yeah, cycle through other guys. Maybe it's Dakota Joshua. Maybe it does end up being Kyle Clifford, whoever it is. But for the here and now, I want to see the kids get as many opportunities as possible early in the season. And I'd like to see James Neal find out what he can do on that fourth line. So that's the way that I would construct it. And I think you have to have neighbors and expand and roll and Costin out there on the ice tonight. Those are two things that are like no doubters for me. You want to tell him T-Bone? You want me to? I'll let you do it. It's not your job, BK. Oh, it's not your I, job, BK. I didn't know where you were going. You wanted me to say that Huso should play in this one. I'm not going to go there. Bit. This is tough for the Blues too. And look, it's a dumb move by Buchnevich. He knows it. The Blues yeah. know it. This is a tough move, though, because their best line in the first two hockey games this season has been Buchnevich, Shen, and Kairou. So I wouldn't read into whatever they do in terms of who plays there tonight and if he's good, because it's going to be 89 when he gets back on oh, the yeah. ice. That's why I'm not sure I would take Jake Neighbors and put him up there yet. I think I would keep Jake Neighbors where he is at because he's still kind of learning the NHL game. And do you want to put him in an expanded role where – as we saw against the Coyotes, when they made it six to four, they went down to two lines and it was the Ryan O'Reilly line and the Braden Shen line. And Barbashev was skating with the Shen line and then he was dropping down with the Thomas and Tarasenko line. I don't know if I would put neighbors there because that's a lot of responsibility for him in a game that it's going to be a tough atmosphere to play in. I think I might look at James Neal playing with those guys just because it's the power forward. It's the veteran presence and he's playing against his former team, the Vegas Golden Knights and keep that fourth line as my secret weapon, right? Like that's the, that's the switchblade that you got hidden in your boot that you didn't tell the guy about. Damn. Sorry. I went back into my like mafia stage there for a minute. Sorry guys. That's, that's your secret recipe if you're Craig Berube. Because when, when Vegas isn't expecting it and they roll out their fourth line, which is not good like it used to be with Reeves and Belmare and Carrier, I'm going to say, I'm going to hit them with this. Bozak, Neighbors, and Costin and see if they can handle it. I get it. You totally don't agree fair with that? Unreasonable? No, I don't. Oh, okay. I would go the other way. Smart ass. I want to <laughs> find out. Our, our consultant yesterday has... told us that I should lean into the fact that I'm a smartass. It's like, yeah, lean into it. Let's see what I'm happens. I'm not really sure how to take that one. It's like lean um, into it like a Tyson punch. <laughs> I uh, I would rather find out what what the ceiling is for neighbors right now. Because three games into him being a 19-year-old, you want to find out what the ceiling is? Of what he is currently. He, we don't know what it's going to be five years from now. But what are the limitations here? Can you move up in the lineup? I don't want to find that out 50 games in because I think he's going to stick. I'd, I'd be really surprised if he's sitting down to juniors this year. There I was hear a, you. It's a great point. But you disagree. But I disagree. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon <laughs> Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes or so. Mizzou. Oh, boy. Georgia. What are you doing, Georgia? Luther Burden, baby. Touchdown Luther is coming to Columbia next year. I can't wait. I've got to get a lot of thoughts off. That's coming up in 15 (laughs) minutes or so. Coming up next, Mike Schilt had some comments yesterday on MLB Network Radio. I think these are at least a piece of why he's no longer the Cardinals manager. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. 
This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. So Mike Schiltz is no longer the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals. Do you know that, Alex? What? Yeah, I'll be damned. Crazy, right? He was on MLB Network Radio, though, yesterday. He was talking about a million different things, his future, what that could entail for him. Said that he's at least received a few calls thus far, nothing concrete, but he believes he's going to have another opportunity down the road. That's to be expected. He's a good manager who's going to land on his feet somewhere, whether that be in San Diego or as a bench coach somewhere, being in charge of somebody's minor leagues, maybe a college coach. He's going to be just fine with whatever he wants to do next. He was asked, though, specifically about some of the decisions that have taken place in the postseason when it comes to polling starters and uh, immediately going to a reliever, maybe earlier than some would anticipate. And Alex, as I heard this answer from Mike Schilt yesterday on MLB Network Radio, all I could think to myself is, you know, I think there are a lot of people that will be nodding their heads in St. Louis as he's saying this. And also, I think it's probably at least a piece of why he's no longer the manager here in St. Louis. Here's what he said. Either way you go, it's, if it doesn't work out, it's like you, you can't win from a manager's seat. Um, and what I mean by that, if you if you take advantage and use your starter, which I always think is important to allow that starter to go out, and I do recognize, and I'm not impervious to the third time through, but, you know, I've just used a very basic rule personally about Wayno's out there, he's dealing, and he's hitting his spots, and he's getting guys off balance. I'm going to ride with that. Third time through, doesn't matter. Same thing with Lester and, and, you know, some of those guys. If early in the game they're struggling and, and guys put some swings on them, we shouldn't have with Wayno um, or Lester really. But, yeah, that's a different story. Um, a younger pitcher you're going to be more of a caretaker for. Now you get in the playoffs, now you're sitting there and it's, um, you know, every win is you only need three to get there and then four and, you know, four to win. And so grabbing those four wins are important. But it's also uh, – you know, battle and war situations, you know, and sometimes you go, okay, and you, you have a hard time fighting every battle because that battle can can take away some of your tools for later on to help you win the war over a seven-game series. So there's definitely an art to it. So that's what he said yesterday, that audio courtesy of MLB Network Radio. I think the first part of that is what's most important. When he was talking about, you know, if you've got a third time through the order, you're getting deep into a game, guys like Wayno, Lester, he didn't say his name, but I'm sure he was thinking about it, Hap, maybe uh, LeBlanc, you know, those veterans, I trust them. And I'm going to let them continue to go out there third time through the order. Meanwhile, for some of those young pitchers, yeah, that's where you got to be a little cautious and you got to make sure that you decide to go to the pin maybe a little earlier than you otherwise would. Alex, that trust, while noble, and I appreciate it, and I think there's a lot of people listening here in St. Louis, especially when he referenced Wayno, but set Wayno aside, he's a different kind of cat. Think more about the John Lester, the Jay Happ side of things. I think when you hear that and that trust that he inherently had in veteran pitching in particular, I think that's part of what went into this decision. The lack of trust with the young pitching, maybe more trust than needed to be there at times with the veteran pitching and just an overall reliance on those guys. I do think that's part of it. And that doesn't make it bad. 
But the game is trending in a different direction. And whether that be openers, whether that be not letting those guys face a lineup the third time through the order, uh, whether that be six-man rotations or just in certain situations knowing, hey, I've got to go to a big-time guy, a uh, fireman here in this inning that's potentially getting out of hand. Those are the types of decisions that need to be made by managers in today's games, according to the front office. It's a front office game now, and I do think that's part of what led to Mike Schilt no longer being the manager here in St. Louis. It's hard to disagree with it, especially when everyone was so frustrated in the playoff game where Mike Schilt didn't pinch hit for Wayno and made him go back out there, and then two batters later, he's pulling him out of the game because he doesn't want to go to his bullpen super early. He was thinking Wayno couldn't get through it. But I got to push back a little bit on how he didn't trust the young pitching. And granted, some of the guys, we did see that. But can you blame him for not trusting the young pitching? Because Jake Woodford struggled a lot this season, which is why he really wasn't put back into the rotation until it was absolutely necessary. Johan Oviedo was really bad in every opportunity that he went through. Now, some games he, he came through and the offense just wouldn't help him out. And then the bullpen, I mean, he went through every situation possible. Alex Reyes, he went with until he absolutely could not use him anymore. Henesis Cabrera was a young pitcher that he made into a setup man. So as much as I do agree that there were times he didn't feel comfortable and you could tell him going to the younger decisions on the roster, in terms of pitching, I mean, he exasperated exacerbated every single opportunity possible. It was the young offense that he didn't seem to trust. Yeah, it's, it's less... My point on this is, much, you, you're right, is much less on the young pitching last year and more so on is he going to trust it moving forward? Because you're right, they tried to go with the young pitchers and the young pitchers let him down time after time after time and eventually you've got to go with more of a veteran approach and they were correct in doing so. I mean, you can maybe even make, we have made the argument, they were too late in doing so in a lot of different ways while the team was hemorrhaging pitching in June. Uh, that being said, moving forward, I, I am curious how that played into this decision because Mo has said publicly, hey, this was not about how the team was managed in 2021 so much as how it will be managed in 2022 and beyond. Guys like Libertor and um, Oviedo, Woodford, Reyes, th- that's your future of the rotation. Hudson as well. Does he trust those guys? I would hope so, but we don't know yet. And that's part of what goes into these things. I think the more important part, though, you're right, is that trust that he had in in the veteran starters to make sure that they got through the third time through if they looked like they were having some success. And again, I'm not saying he's inherently wrong for doing so, but the front office looks at these things. And a lot of the time when you look at the numbers, not a lot of time. The numbers would suggest third time through the order, it's just bad. It, it doesn't go well in general for your starters. Well, yeah, you're seeing that in Major League Baseball now. Yeah, especially with guys like John Lester and Jay Happ. They're two time through the order pitchers at this point in their career, even though they are accomplished veterans. And I do think there was a little bit of deference there from Mike Schilt that led to the ultimate decision of his dismissal. And I think another thing that kind of goes into this, and I agree with you guys 100%, is... You know, the numbers tell you, okay, that third time through the order, you can't really have the starter go, so you got to go to the bullpen. Well, in 162 games, I mean, the numbers won't show this, but the bullpen's going to get tired. The bullpen can't constantly be coming in all the time. And I, I think that's part of the balancing act, and I wonder if that was part of the disconnect. Because I do think it was part of, okay, I don't have much trust in my bullpen. And honestly, in the first half of the year, I don't blame Mike Schill for having no trust in the bullpen. But once you get all those other arms in there, like by the end of the year, there were six guys in our circle of trust, if I'm not mistaken. So you look at that and you say, okay, well, you can do that the third time through the order. 
well, in the regular season, you really have to balance that out. Now, if you have six guys you trust, then you can probably do that a lot more. But I, I think there was pushback on terms from Mike Schilt to the front office. Guys, I can't do that every day, especially if I don't have the weapons that are necessary to do it. By the end of the year, I, I could say, yeah, he had the weapons to do it, so there's no excuse really not to do it. But early on in the year, there there was no way he was going to be able to do that because he could barely get guys through the second time of the order, and you could see that the bullpen was getting tired. You're right, and I, I don't think this was about 2021 specifically. I think this is more about projecting forward. What's it going to be like when Miles Michaelis is now back? Is he going to be a guy that you trust that third time through because he's been there before, because he's done it, because we've seen success? And if Mike Schilt's answer is yes, as a front office, I, I wonder if that made them a little queasy. Um, And this is also this is going to put pressure on the front office. They've got to go out there and build that depth that you're talking about, whether that be with the young guys or going out there and signing veteran arms to come out of the bullpen. Those are all things that now if you're going to go this route, it puts that much more pressure on the Cardinals front office to be right. We did get this text from the 303 Uh, guys. This also makes me wonder about how the Dodgers pulled Scherzer in the wild card game. The Cardinals let Wayno ride. And then we saw what the outcome is. I think the Dodgers and what they've done with their pitching this postseason, while not all perfect by any stretch of the imagination, I think that is the model that the Cardinals are chasing. Doesn't mean that they're going to get there. Doesn't mean that everything they're doing is correct just because they do it. But I think that's more of the model that the Cardinals would like to follow. And after hearing those comments from Mike Schiltz, I'm not sure he would be super interested in following the model that the Dodgers have put in in place. That's why I think heading into this offseason, I I think we're going to see the Cardinals make, I don't know if they're going to make that big like bullpen signing, like giving a Brett Cecil or Andrew Miller type contract out. But I, I think they will be aggressive in pursuing the bullpen market. And I, and I mean some of the bigger names, too. I don't know if they're going to get like a Blake Trinan, who's a free agent. But, God, he'd be, great to, see. <laughs> he'd be great to see in a Cardinal uniform. But I do think they're going to be aggressive, especially if that's the way the front office is trending. We talk about the starting pitching. There's multiple guys that you have down or multiple guys that you could point at and say, OK, I could see him as a starter. A couple of the kids, Libertor, look like they're getting very close to being ready. So. Starting pitching, I'm not so. I do have some concerns, but I don't know if the front office will view it that way. I think they'll look at the bullpen and say, "All right, if we're going to do this, where the starter can only go two times through the order, we really have to load up that bullpen with weapons." Because returning to the bullpen next year, there's only three guys that were in the circle of trust. It would be Giovanni Gallegos, Henesis Cabrera, Cody Whitley. You can throw Reyes into that conversation, but I think they're going to shoot for him to be a starter. You have to be about six guys deep if you're going to constantly be doing it to where you say, my starter can only go through the lineup two times through. So you need to find those bullpen weapons, and I don't think they have it in the system. I mean, you could say Ryan Helsley, but let's be honest. I don't think Ryan Helsley had a good enough year for me to really be confident enough in saying that. And then otherwise, who else do I have? I don't know if there's anybody else in the system that I can say that's a big arm I can bring out of the bullpen that I'm going to trust for next year. So you have to look at the free agent market. I think you're going to be turning starters into bullpen arms, and I just don't know if that's going to turn out well for the Cardinals because they don't have other bullpen arms that can go into that situation. And if you're retooling a bullpen to have six or seven guys deep, that's four guys you're spending money on in the offseason. Now, maybe you can find Luis Garcia's and – um, find them cheap, TJ McFarland's, but that seems like an awful lot to ask for a bullpen that's going to have to be overwhelmed this offseason. I've got to find there Julio Urias, and I don't know who that's going to be, and that's a hard guy to find. Like Urias was a 20, 20 game winner this year, but now you get into the postseason, it's like, hey, he basically told the Dodgers, wherever you need me, I'll go. I'll be the guy that is our Swiss Army knife. You need me to start a game? I got you. I'll go five, six innings. You need me to come in in relief? I got you. I'll get you three strong innings. You need me to come in and close games out for potentially going into extra? I got you. I've been there as well. It's a very difficult pitcher to find, but that's the thing that in the postseason, when these games are played the way they are now, 
every team's got to have one of those guys. The guy that could do that next year, in my opinion, would be Alex Reyes if you can get him in the right mindset because he's been in the bullpen, he's been a starter, he's that guy. You just have to figure a way to get him to be more consistent and lower the walks. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get into some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But coming up next, whoo boy, it was a big night for my Tigers. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. They all, you know, go to places like the Georgias, the Alabamas. Um, I mean, I just want to start a chair here in St. Louis for, you know, the younger people, the talent up under me, to start chair here in St. Louis and uh, stay home. Take our talents to Missouri. Oh, that is music to my ears. That was Luther Burden yesterday after he announced that he is going to be the newest Missouri Tiger. Luther Burden, of course, is a five-star wide receiver, the number one wide receiver in the country. Why does he keep looking at me when he says all this The stuff? number six overall player in the country. It's your the- head coach talks about how bad his team is. We'll get to that here in a minute. They are bad, though. Really this bad. is the biggest Mizzou commit in nine years. The last one that was of this ilk was Doriel Green Beckham. And he was a five-star wide receiver who ended up being a great player on the field. And then we all know how the story went off of the field. But DGB was great whenever he was able to play on the field. Luther Burden might be better. Doriel Green Beckham was a freak of nature who happened to play the receiver position. Luther Burden is a stud wide receiver. And he's from St. Louis. And, man, if there was any one thing that Missouri struggled with, and with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. If there's any one thing that Missouri has struggled with over the years, it's finding a way to get these high-talent players out of the St. Louis area to commit to Mizzou over Ohio State and Oklahoma and Alabama and Georgia. These kids leave. Guys like Luther Burden don't go play for Mizzou anymore. And they really other than a few of them, haven't over the years. If Eli Drinkwitz is able to start getting not all of these kids, because you're never going to do that. There's too many good ones in St. Louis for the for Mizzou to be able to get all of them. If they can get like 50% of them to start coming to Mizzou, man, this is what changes the program. This is what Eli Drinkwitz has been building towards, and the season has been a big dumpster fire for Mizzou. It has not been what any of us were hoping or expecting it to be. Yesterday was a good day to be a Missouri Tigers fan. If you're excited today, you should be. This is one of the biggest commits that Mizzou has had, frankly, in its history. And after listening to Demetrius Johnson on with the morning show today, Carriker and Smallman, it got me even more excited. I didn't know it was possible than I was about 12 hours ago. This is going to start, I'll tell you, a domino effect. You're going to get so many other kids wanting to go to Missouri. And I heard rumors that guys that Coach ain't talked to in six, uh, three or four or five months are now calling, you know, interested <laughs> now. I mean, this is, this is going to be the residual effect of Luther Burden, a five-star receiver and a great kid wanting to go to University of Missouri that's going to have an effect on the the whole entire uh, region. That's exactly what you want to hear if you're a Mizzou fan. Luther Burden is a five-star talent. He is seen as like a legend in the St. Louis football community. And by the way, I know people are saying he's from East St. Louis. Yeah, he he plays at East St. Louis this year. He's from the St. Louis side on the Missouri side. He went to Cardinal Ritter previously. He's out at East St. Louis now. He's a St. Louis kid. And these other kids in this area look up to Luther Burden. And if he can start a trend 
of getting some more of these guys reaching back and saying, hey, come join me. Let's go get something started at Mizzou. Oh, boy. This could be the type of commitment that gets the Eli Drinkwitz train rolling moving forward. I was excited, and I saw a ton of viral videos last night, starting with Drinkwitz's uh, reaction to Burden putting the Mizzou hat on, and then you saw a bunch of kids, whether they were high school area kids or college kids at Mizzou, and the celebration that took. And before Demetrius Johnson said that this morning, Dave Matter had put a tweet out as well, saying that he's heard the same thing, that Eli's been getting a lot of phone calls from kids, And rightfully so, because we've spent so long from the Barry Odom era of seeing kids from East St. Louis and St. Louis, you know, studs that were at CBC that went elsewhere. And you're thinking, man, what is going on here? And then Eli Drinkwitz storms into Mizzou and starts taking over. And he has made that commitment. And I think he even said earlier today, mentioning the East St. Louis kid that plays for Texas A&M, like that's the kind of kid we need. So I do hope that Luther Burden starts finding ways to transition kids from going away from Mizzou to coming to Mizzou. Um, And frankly, this does get me excited. I saw matter. So they have the number one wide receiver recruit, the number seven quarterback, the number 15 running back, and they have top 15 offensive line, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so it's seven quarterback, 11 running back, number one wide receiver, two top 20 kids on the offensive and defensive lines, number 30 corner, and number 12 safety right now in the country. There's one I didn't hear. It, Linebacker. <laughs> Those will come via the transfer portal. They need oh, immediate yeah, impact. Like Blaze Aldridge. That's worked out well. <laughs> okay. But Matter said that... It's, it's it, a long-term pill, right, boys? <laughs> Matter said that they're top 15 overall in the 2022 class. I mean, when was the last time that the Missouri Tigers were top 50 in recruiting? Well, they're, they're perennially top 50, but they're... It doesn't feel like it, though. Maybe I'm just not as yeah. in deep with them. They're top 25 most years, but top top 15, this is different. Uh, This is on a completely different level uh, from what we've seen from Mizzou in the past. And next year, there's a ton of in-state talent as well. Like whether it be in the St. Louis area, a couple of kids from from Kansas City. It's a huge class for the offensive line locally. There's like three guys that are legitimately top 25 at their position nationally that Mizzou could potentially be involved with. This is this is how the build begins. Uh, It takes it takes a while. And this year, I think we have seen progress, not always linear. Last year looked like it was a step forward with Drinkwitz at the helm instead of Barry Odom. And this year, it looks like it's a step back from where it was a year ago. Maybe we should have expected that with them losing three NFL talents on the defense. And this year, the defense looks awful. And there may have to be changes coaching-wise on that side of the ball. But when you see something like this, it shows you that his, his message is being received by the people that matter most. And the people that matter most, of course, is the recruits. And it's going it to remain to be seen how he's able to coach them up once they get to Mizzou. That's the next step. You've got to be able to get them on campus, and then you've got to coach them up. But guys like Luther Burden, quarterbacks like Sam Horn, who they have committed right now, Marquise Gratial, who's a stud defensive tackle that they have committed from the St. Charles area, those are the types of players that can become the foundation of what is a good program moving forward. So then tell me, BK, and I'm probably asking for Mizzou fans, what what is the year that you get excited for this team? 2023. Next year's the next step in the build. That should be like a 6-6, six 7-5 six, and five type of season, hopefully. I said that this year. Look I know. what happened. Uh, but 2023 is when you really start to target, okay, it's time to win. 
time to start winning. That'll be the second year of Luther Burden on campus. This class that we're very excited about right now, it'll be their second year on campus. Last year, they had a good class as well. Some of those guys will be in year three. You should be able to have your quarterback situation figured out by then, whether it be Sam Horn, Tyler Macon from East St. Louis, who's on campus right now. Maybe it's still Connor Bazelak. I'm skeptical of that. Uh, I, th- I think 2023 is the, if you're a Mizzou fan, that's what you should be targeting. Yeah, you right said now. over the weekend, Bazelak was terrible. Uh, he's, he's struggled. He has struggled so far. I was trying time. to throw you under the bus there, and well, you just kind of laid underneath it. Yeah, there you go, Way to dodge that. That was impressive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, Mizzou fans, anybody listening right now, they'll they'll tell you the same thing. He has struggled this year. I really hope we get to pick the Mizzou game and the pick him again, because every time I pick against Mizzou, I always get a win. <laughs> okay. It's so nice. You know what? Just for you, Tanner, let's go ahead and listen to what Brett Bielema yes! had to say yesterday. Because yes! he was asked about his current roster and what needs to be done there. He was asked specifically about, you know, how, how far away do you feel like this roster is? Alex, listen to this and imagine you're a current player on the Illinois football team. I recognize that probably uh, midway through the spring last year, through the summer, um, just certain positions haven't uh, uh, maybe played out the way they envisioned them to. Um, in particular, the offensive line, I don't believe we have a player in the two deep um, uh, that, that they've recruited here over the last three years that is really significantly doing anything for us. Uh, in the playing department, and that's a, that's a major concern. I mean, he ain't wrong. Hang on, I'm typing up my transfer portal letter. I can get out of Illinois. That's my, that's your head coach. I can't imagine being a current Illinois football player. And it went on from there. There was more to it, it than went just on? that. Yeah. Um, did he throw his quarterbacks under the bus too? Well, they're not very good either. <laughs> no, he, he actually did. He said both of them are from the transfer portal, which should tell you some <laughs> things about the guys that they recruited previously to the uh, position. He's from Rutgers. That tells you what's up. Maybe they can get Spencer Rattler next year. I wouldn't go that route. Honestly, I would take Spencer Rattler. <laughs> oh, boy. Hey, that's when you know things are going poorly. Hey, listen, Brett Bielema very well may end up having success at, at yeah. Illinois. I didn't love hearing that comment from him. If you're a coach, you've got to walk a very fine line whenever you're coaching other former um, administrators, players. You, you can't be throwing them under the bus like that, man. You, that's just not the way to handle it if you're a coach. I think he missed on his comment. I think what he was shooting for was hopefully get a little, light a little bit of fire under all these position players oh. because you look at them, they have not played well. I mean, right. they barely beat Charlotte. You, and, lit, you lit a bonfire, you just threw your whole team into it. Yeah, well, that wasn't the goal. It was supposed to be, you know, you light the bonfire a little bit away from the team and it just <laughs> having to carry over, you know. But I What a Molotov cocktail yeah. and threw it I into was the building. He lit the defenseman on fire and was hoping the offensive guys just walked into it. But, yeah, I, I think he missed on this comment. I still think he's he's a guy that really likes to build up that offensive line. And coming in, I mean, that offensive line that heading into the year, I knew was not going to be very good, which I think leads to the quarterback play. And they don't have sure. a lot of weapons around the quarterback. So the, I, I think he missed on his comments. I, I, think, I know what he was trying to do. I think he missed. But I still think that he's going to have some success at Illinois. It's probably going to take – usually I say that three- to four-year window, like with Drinkwitz, is when you want to get that winning window. Bielma maybe more five or six years, say, but how that's about fine. Nine to twelve, maybe. Well, BK, He'll you know the one way to build your team up, right? You got to break them down first. Yeah, apparently, and that's what Bielmas were doing. Somebody said, "What do you expect him to say?" Another person from the text line six five seven eight zero said, "What's wrong with the coach being honest?" Uh, what I expect him to say is what you always hear from coaches in this situation. Hey, listen, it's going to be a build here. We're, we're, we're taking the long haul. We're building this the right way. And moving forward, we believe that we're going to be able to have the right guys in this locker room to win long term. 
That's what these coaches say. And then when you get behind the scenes and you're talking to reporters on background, you can say exactly what he said. But you don't say that publicly in front of a mic and a TV screen when you know your players are going to see this. It's just a bad look for your players. And I I get it, man. A coach being honest, maybe you like it that way. Well, you also got to recruit. And if I'm a recruit and I see him trashing his players like this, it's, it's just not a great look. For the coach, I think he'll be able to overcome it. It's nothing that he can't overcome, but woof, it it ain't great. I'll call up the Missouri Tigers. Well, really, (laughs) I I got this. Brett, seriously, just play this in the locker room today at practice or tomorrow. Okay, six five seven eight zero is here. Comfort service. Did he just really freaking play this? Yep. Coming up in fifteen minutes or so. Buster only told us yesterday that the Cardinals haven't been stressed by the division in recent years. Could they be stressed by the fans, though, going into this offseason? Questions and answers coming up next on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 780 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 314. Hey guys, Luther Burden is a big time recruit. We know that, but how good can he be once he gets onto campus for Mizzou? Is there a player that has been there recently that you would compare him to? Alex, I have one for you. That's not a surprise. He reminds me a lot of Jeremy Macklin in the way that he plays. I got me excited. He's not Doriel Green Beckham. He's not 6'6", 225 pounds, but he's like 6'1", 205. He's a pretty decent size, but he is competitive as hell. And he is incredibly fast. He is strong with the ball in his hands. And when he gets into the open field, man, I don't know if you've seen any of his highlights. Yeah, I watched them all last night. Holy cow, does he make everybody miss. He, he looks like a running back in the open field, but he also runs incredibly good routes. So if you're looking for anybody recently uh, that's played for Mizzou that stylistically looks the same, it's, it's probably Jeremy Mack. I was watching his highlights last night after he committed, and the first one was against CBC, and it was a punt return. Mm-hmm. And I was joking around with my buddy. We were at our softball game, and he was like, why do you think the punter looked at that kid and didn't realize it was Luther Burden? And they told him, yeah, go ahead and punt it. Honestly, it was his first touch of the season for East St. Louis. For how good Luther Burden is... I mean, he made every single player on CBC look irrelevant on just that punt return. And I was thinking of this, and tell me if I'm stupid, because I might be when it comes to college football here, but in terms of size and speed, does he remind you a little bit of like a uh, Devontae Smith or a Jamar Chase? Uh, I mean, Chase maybe a little more. Smith was tiny. Smith was like 170 pounds soaking But wet, he was so. so strong with the ball in his hands, too, though. Like, I was thinking more speed of Smith and size of Jamar Chase combined. Yeah, I mean, that's like the perfect receiver. So, so it sounds like the, the Tigers yeah, got the great. perfect receiver. Yeah. I, okay, so I'm off on that. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, Devontae Smith is like one of the best route runners that we've seen in college football in the last two decades. And Jamar Chase is probably the strongest receiver that I've seen in like the last decade. I don't know if he's like the perfect combination of the two, but I see what you're going with. He's really good. <laughs> like Compare him to somebody who's really good. Right, that was just trying to make me feel better about it. I told you, tell me if I'm stupid with it. And I am. It's fine. 
I'll go back to worrying about the Cardinals bat boys from the text line. What's a little good cop, bad cop here? He said, you know, he's a good player. Alex, what the hell? That's okay. stupid. Well, that doesn't work with you because your head coach calls out his entire team. Fair. What the hell, Bilma? <laughs> 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 314. Hey, guys, why do you think the Cardinals continue to move away from the stuff that's working? They were winning with Waltz and then they fired him. They were winning with Tony LaRussa and got away from the Cardinal way afterwards. Why do they continue doing this? I mean, the Walt is such a different scenario than what it is now because Walt was a completely different philosophical uh, reason. Like, Walt was, let's spend money and bring big names in, and DeWitt and company wanted to transition into grooming the minor league system. This one is still up in the air for me. I mean, we've cited so many different reasons as to what took place between Mike Schilt and John Mozeliak, and I don't know if it... To me, it's 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 apples and oranges with... Walt Jockety and Mike Schilt. The Mike Schilt thing, I think, was just a matter of they wanted somebody who was more willing to be on board with what John Mozeliak wanted to do. But Walt Jockety was just a completely diff- different philosoph- uh, philosophy. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, Jockety was let go in, what, 07? Yeah. Because he kept kind of the same team, and then they underperformed after that 06 and World Luna. Series. Lunau was the reason why he was let go. Yeah, okay, okay yeah. Because they didn't too. see eye to eye. Yeah, so that's the reason for that one. In terms of kind of changing things up, I... I can kind of understand it because over the last couple of years, I'm going to combine Matheny and Schilt. I don't know if that's fair to do or not. Yeah, Mike Schilt. But what? Mike Matheny, Mike Schilt, Mike Schilt. You lost me on that one. But I said combine them. I combined them. But, you know, they've been kind of doing their this, whatever you want to call this, the, this cardinal way of not really being all in on the analytics and kind of going more of the manager feel, I would say. And though they got to the World Series in 15, and, or no, sorry, 13, and they got to the NLCS in 19, and if I'm not mistaken, or no, they didn't get there in 15, in 19. Have you we don't re- watch the game. I know. Sorry. I'm trying to remember seven years or something. But I, they've been to a World Series, and they've been to an NLCS, and that's really it. And they've had some good regular seasons, but they're not winning in the postseason. And I, I, I think that's part of the reason I can understand this change of, okay, maybe that's not working. Let's kind of shift to this new era. I don't think I I am one that I don't mind seeing change if you think it's going to benefit the team. And I'm interested to see if that's what works out for John Mozeliak in the front office moving forward. I think that there's some similarities, honestly, between what's happening right now and what took place with Walt Jockety. Walt Jockety didn't see eye to eye with the way that things were going for the Cardinals. He, he didn't love Jeff Lunau. He didn't like that he was getting more power within the organization. And the Cardinals decided, well, if you don't like it, I guess we're going to have to go in a different direction. And that's what happened. And I think some of that is true now as well. Hey, Mike, we, we think that you're a really good manager, but this is the direction that we're heading as an organization. And if you don't want to be a part of that, that that's fine. But we're going to have to go in that direction without you then. I think that just like Walt Jockety going on and continuing to have a career elsewhere, and we look back on it and we say, damn, that, that guy was really good at his job. I think that could be what happens with Mike Schultz as well. He could go on and have a lot of success elsewhere with his philosophy. And the Cardinals very well, just like they have over the last 14 years, have a lot of success with theirs. So I do think this is a difference of opinions on the way, the direction of the way that the team should and will go. 
and the Cardinals are continuing to head in a different direction. So I, I think there are some similarities to what happened with Walt Jockety, even though obviously they're different situations in terms of who people didn't see eye to eye with. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. More likely to happen in about 15 minutes or so. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely. But coming up next, Buster Olney said that the Cardinals aren't stressed recently. Their front office hasn't been stressed by the rest of the division. Is the Cardinals fan base about to put that stress on the front office? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. They think they've done fine, and they also feel like that they have not been stressed. In other words, because of the fact they play in the National League Central, um, they haven't been under a lot of pressure. So in some respects, you know, the Cardinals are where the Chicago White Sox are now in the American League Central, that because of their access to money, uh, because the players they have on their roster, uh, you know, they can do things that other teams in the division can't. And within that context, you know, they've had success. That's what Buster only said with us yesterday here on 101 ESPN. If you missed that conversation, it was really good. Some good stuff's on the Cardinals manager search and where this Cardinals front office is right now as it pertains to how they're seen around the league. Alex, I found that quote to be really interesting because I think there's a lot of truth to it. This team has not been pushed by the division in the way that it was in like 2015, 2016 by the Cubs. They were pushed in that era. But the Cardinals also weren't in really their winning window the way that they are now. Now you've got Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt and the last year of Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina. It's winning time. And yet the rest of the division is kind of looking at next year. At least it seems to me like they are as the Brewers are in hold mode. The Reds, I have no idea what it's going to look like for them next year. And the Pirates and the Cubs are both tanking again. So the rest of the division, it looks like you should be better than, even as currently constructed. So where is that stress coming from for 2022? Am I wrong in saying that that stress is going to start coming from the fans now? I don't know that it's been the utmost pressure that the front office is feeling from this fan base. I think there's been some of that. But now, after firing a successful manager with $60 million coming off of the books and having 30 to $40 million of that to spend in the offseason, with five different superstar shortstops being on the market, after seeing what the Giants just did go, coming off of last offseason, seeing what the Braves were able to do by getting to the NLCS, and we'll see what happens from there, maybe winning the World Series, despite not having their best player, I think the fans are going to start putting the feet to the fire a little bit of this front office. Do you agree with that sentiment that if there's going to be stress on this team, it might not come from the division, but it will come from the fans this offseason? I 100% agree. And we already saw the makings of it this year in June. When this team was bad, we were all talking about how empty that ballpark was. I remember T-Bone, you were at a game and you were texting us like this place is empty. And I went to a game, I think it was either late June or early July, the exact same result. You're all... Everyone knows this fan base for the Cardinals and just St. Louis sports in general are very smart. And they know when they're being lied to, where if they're told, oh, yeah, we're being aggressive and then they're not being aggressive and the fans will stop spending their money. So, yeah, the stress will happen. And I think the Cardinals saw examples of that, which is part of the reason why I think this move was made. 
because this is kind of the jumpstart of saying, yeah, we're going to make this push because we do believe 2022 is the year, but that's, that's where the stress has to come from. Because if, if the fans aren't going to do that towards the Cardinals and they don't, they don't make it seem like they're making that extra push and the fans are still going, well, then what's the difference from all of that? So I absolutely believe the fans are going to be a part of it. And frankly, I think that's why this Cardinals team seems poised to be aggressive this offseason. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I think the fans are going to push this front office this offseason. And I think the stress that was going to be pushed on the, on the front office was destined to happen. And what I mean by that is they had the $60 million coming <laughs> off of the books and you had June where they struggled. And the t- you, you looked at it as a fan. You said, okay, they should be better than this. I don't want to watch that. But then also you went, you go on a 17-game winning streak. You get fans invested at the very end of the season. You get into the playoffs. And then you're knocked out in a one-game wild card. And what do fans say then? They also say, hey, you've got $60 million coming off the books. We liked what we saw in that 17-game winning streak. There's no reason this team shouldn't be better next year. And not just better of winning the NL Central they should be better and be competitive enough to have a shot to win the National League. I, I, I do believe that the stress is being put on the front office by the fans. I'm with you guys. The division is not going to provide any stress because you've got three it teams. It, it should. And they, there's three teams that are basically, in my opinion, going to go rebuild because I don't think the Reds are going to bring back uh, Cassianos. So it's time to tear it down. And then I look at the Brewers. The Brewers are going to be stuck, in my opinion, with the rosters that they basically have. I don't expect them to make any big uh, acquisition. I still think they're going to be good, but if I look three years down the line, I could easily be looking at the bird and saying, yep, they're going to be ready to tear it down as well. So the stress is going to come from the fans, and I think it was destined to happen this year no matter what. Yeah, I think this is the winning window that we've been talking so much about for, for a couple of years now. And once they added Nolan Arenado, it became even more so when you've got to start pushing those ships into the center. And then the question is, okay, what does that look like? If they do decide to go out there and be aggressive this offseason, I mean, we've been talking about it. I think there's a couple of different shapes that that can take. On one hand, you go the depth route, right? You go with what the Giants did a year ago. On the other hand, do you go the expensive free agent shortstop market and then maybe add some lower level free agents around that? Buster Olney said that he could see the Cardinals getting into that shortstop market and others around the league seem to view it the same way. You know, called a bunch of evaluators with other teams. Uh, and ask them about, you know, potential landing spots for Corey Seager, for Carlos Correa, Marcus Simeon, Trevor Story, uh, uh, you know, Javier Baez. And I was surprised that a couple of them mentioned the Cardinals, saying, you know, there potentially could be a fit there. Other teams are definitely seeing the Cardinals that, as, as being a sleeper uh, team in terms of the shortstop market. I don't even think they should be a sleeper team. They should be the team. If you're, we talked with Andy McCullough of The Athletic earlier today, and uh, Dan asked him, you know, hey, what do you think about Trevor Story? What do you think about him as a fit for the Cardinals? I think that he's the one that is starting to make the most sense to me, Alex, and he's likely going to get a lot less than these other shortstops will. I, I know Buster put out his piece that he was referring to there earlier today. He's got Trevor Story ranked fourth uh, about, um, among the five shortstop free agents this offseason ahead of only Javi Baez behind Marcus Simeon. I think he could end up settling for either a one-year pillow deal where it's like 20 to $25 million or a five, four- to five-year deal worth right around $100 million. I think that's in play for Trevor Story this offseason. But Dan asked Andy McCullough about Trevor Story, and McCullough was kind of taken aback. He's like, why would they want Story? Why not go for Seager or Correa? And it was just like it was this honest moment of what we've kind of been going through over the last three months where it's like, yeah, I mean, Seager's the one that makes the most sense. 
But it comes down to, are you really willing to spend $30 million per year? And he thinks that he's going to make more than the Rondon contract where he, that he got from the Angels. So I, it's going to be tough, man. I, I'm very curious to see what this team decides to do and what the aggressiveness looks like now that they do have something pushing them. I don't think there's a wrong answer in the shortstop market. I know people are going to hate this, but even if they were to sign Javier Baez to a one-year deal... Oh, that's st- a wrong answer. I still think that makes them a better team than what they are right now. Javier Baez is going to be a better option than Edmundo Sosa and Paul DeYoung. Do I want that? No. But there's plenty of options out there for you. And then you deter or detour past the shortstops. If you don't go that way, you got a Castellanos, a Kyle Schwarber, like there's options out there to fill the voids that you have. And that's where I think the stress from the fans is going to be particularly interesting this off season because of all of these options out there. If you swing and miss at one guy, like the year that David price was available. Okay. Frustrating, but look, that's the top dog point. There's seven or eight, possibly ten top dogs this offseason. If you swing and miss on all of them, that's going to be a hard BS to try and sell to the fan base. Oh, well, we tried on all of these guys, and we just got outbid. There's not 30 teams fighting for ten guys. Yeah, that, that's a good point, and I, I am curious to know what they decide to do because I don't think they're willing to add a $30 million guy. Even 25 I feel like it's a stretch. But if it is the story deal where it is a four-year, about $100 million deal, or five years, $100 million, around that $20 million range, I don't see why there's an excuse not to bring that guy in. And I'm kind of with you, Alex. I, would I prefer maybe a Corey Seager, Corey Seager or Carlos Correa over Trevor Story? Yeah, but it's not like there's a massive drop-off in my opinion. I still think Trevor Story is a great player. So if you have to settle for that and maybe wait out the market and watch some of the values come down, I'm fine for that. Add that big bat and make sure that you have – for a four guys deep in your starting lineup that you didn't have really this year. So if, if you have to wait out the market, I'm totally fine with that. But there is really no excuse, in my opinion, that you shouldn't be in on one of these top 10 guys. It's 12:15. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Mike McKenna, a former NHLer, now an NHL analyst, joining the show in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely, more likely to happen. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. you're on your game today wow love it i'm learning to deal with this heat these days so i'm back baby i'm not it's still hot as hell yeah, in here. six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service tax slide for more likely to happen you give us two scenarios we'll tell you which one is more likely more likely to happen the Cardinals spend 50 million dollars per year on max scherzer or 30 million dollars per year on Corey seager 50 million dollars who do you think you captured chelsea clinton come on guys rush hour <laughs> T-Bone hasn't seen it. I, I didn't Another get that one that you've got to watch. Phenomenal <laughs> action movie. Like, my favorite. Um, I'm going to go with a $30 million because they're in no way, shape, or form are the Cardinals getting signed Max Scherzer. I, I, maybe I'm crazy into that sense of like, oh, you got to at least have consider the possibility. One, they're not spending $50 million on one player. Two, Max Scherzer's not coming to St. Louis. So I'm going to say it's more likely 30 mil per year for Carlos Correa. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's more likely to be 30 mil for like a Carlos Correa, one of the shortstops, because I think that's a few point that I don't think the Cardinals would go. 
$50 million is definitely the definitely a few point. I don't think they'd even get close to that. I think $30 million would be like the max. If that guy wanted like $30.01 million a year, they'd go, whoa, whoa, whoa. We can't go that high. So I, I say $30 million, but even that I find unlikely. Could always go higher. Yeah, there's no chance they're getting Max Scherzer at $50 million. What about $60 million? There's no chance they get Max Scherzer. $75 million? Whatever Max Scherzer is going to get, which is going to be above 40 it will not be from the Cardinals. I will eat this piece of paper if I'm wrong on that. God, man, there's two scenarios now where he's going to eat a piece of paper. Mo, make it happen. Who was the manager that he said he would eat the paper? If Show he, Walter. Oh, my God. If we get and Buck, Michael B. Jordan. He was candidate yeah. number. <laughs> Both of those I feel confident. He was in. candidate numbers one and two of our dating show last night. They're, I think they're going to be in on Corey Seager. The degree to which they are in on him, I have no idea. Don't you think they have to at least investigate Carlos Correa since the connection of Jeff Albert? I don't know that it has anything to do with Albert in May. I just know that they, and I'm not saying the cheating stuff. I'm just saying there's connections from Houston. Sure, yeah, the you're relationships, the, yeah, right? If you're making the connections with Trevor Story and Nolan Arenado, you got to do that with Correa and Jeff Albert. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I don't know that they do it because of that, but because he's really good. Right. I mean, anybody that's watching the postseason right now, I know you've seen it. Alex Tanner, you've been watching it. Carlos Correa is incredible. Yeah. And if you're looking for just, like, the best pure player right now, I actually think you can make an argument Correa is better than Seager. Now, in terms of fit, Seager might be better because he's a left-handed bat. And my God, is his power incredible. Mm-hmm. It is it is pure from the left side. Correa is really good, though. And defensively, I think he's a far superior player to what you're going to get defensively from Corey Seager. That's probably my biggest question about Seager is how he's going to be defensively moving forward. Even right now, he's just okay. It's not great. It's probably closer to Johnny Peralta than it is like Edmundo Sosa, what we saw last year. So that's my biggest question. But I but think it's better than Paul DeYoung. I don't know. See, I, I think, think it might so. be worse. I, I think they're I think they're similar. I I think Paul DeYoung's about where Corey Seager is defensively. And yeah. the reason I say that is that line drive and game, what was it, two? That was like right at him, went under his glove. That, that might be a play Paul DeYoung makes. But it may be similar to Seager. I think Sosa makes that play because he's got a hell of a glove. Yeah, I I think that Seager's somebody that they're going to at least explore. I have I don't think that they're going to have interest in Max Scherzer in the contract that no. he's going to get. So more likely that they end up getting Corey Seager. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for question or not questions and answers. My apologies for more likely to happen. More likely to happen that the Cardinals next year look closer to the team that we saw in June or the team that we saw in September. Which one will be closer to the team that we see next year from the Cardinals? I'm under the assumption that they're going to make upgrades this offseason. So I'll say it's more likely they're closer to the team in September. I mean, June was historically bad in every area, and I don't think the pitching is going to be as bad as it was in June with a healthy Dakota Hudson, a healthy Miles Michaelis, and a healthy Jack Flaherty. So I'll say more likely that they're closer to September. I think if they stay healthy, it's more like more likely they look like September, but I don't expect them to make any additions in terms of adding depth to the starting pitching. They may bring back like John Lester, but other than that, I think they're going to look at Libertor Thompson, uh, Oviedo Woodford as the depth guys for the rotation. So if injuries occur to the starting rotation, I could easily see it being more likely that they look like June than anything else. But I think if they're healthy, they'll look more like September. I'm with you guys. No surprise to anybody that I'm really high on what the Cardinals future looks like. I think that they're much closer to the team that they were in September. I think for much of the season, Cardinals were good. I mean, we've talked about the record outside of the month of June. It was basically June was awful, and every other month they were pretty darn good. They were like a 90 to 95 win pace when they weren't playing in June. 
So I think that they're closer to that. And I think next year, this is going to be a really good team. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for more likely to happen. Guys, more likely to happen. Trevor Story is on the Cardinals next year or Paul DeYoung is not. Say that again. Trevor Story is a Cardinal next year or Tre- or, or Paul DeYoung, Paul is, DeYoung not. is not. It's pretty amazing that we're actually thinking that this is this is close. Because uh, a week ago, I think I would have been like, oh, this is obvious. Now I don't know. I'm going to say it's more likely Trevor Story is a Cardinal because I, I have a gut feel that whomever this going to be manager is going to say, no, let's give Paul DeYoung one more year. Oh, so then you think it's more... I think it's oh, more I think gotcha, it's more gotcha. likely that Paul DeYoung is going to be a part of this team. So in this scenario, I can see Trevor Story being a Cardinal and Paul DeYoung being a bench bat. Interesting. Or I can see I, honestly I, I it's tough to, with this one because I see the scenario of not Trevor Story and it being Paul DeYoung, but I'm going to go it's more likely Trevor Story is a Cardinal because of that Arenado tie because I also think Paul DeYoung isn't going anywhere. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's more likely that it would be Trevor Story's brought in the Arnado Tizel big one. After hearing Mo talk about Amundo Sosa and how they view his ceiling, and I think he talked about the young, if I'm not mistaken, in that cut as well. I I had thought coming into the offseason that there's no way Paul DeYoung could be back on this team. I think you had to move on. I still think you have to move on from him and get a different change of scenery for him. I think the Cardinals are going to give him one more shot and see if he can return back to his form. That's why I'm going to say more likely they bring in Story because I don't know if they're going to trade Paul DeYoung now. As Eminem once said in 8 Mile, you only get one shot. Don't let your chance blow. Do not let chance go. Do not, not blow. miss your chance to blow. <laughs> Close enough. Um, <laughs> Tomato time. Don't think mom's that's spaghetti. quite what he was going it's for probably there. what it was. <laughs> yeah. It's mom's spaghetti. Um, you don't want mom's spaghetti to blow. I actually think the most likely outcome for this offseason, I think I've come around and I think it's that both of these things happen. I think Trevor Story is a Cardinal what and that Paul DeYoung is not a Cardinal. Is that how the game that's works? That's how I know. I'm just putting that out there on the front end. I Stop do think it's more... the fence. I do think it's more likely, though, that Trevor Story is a Cardinal. I I think that this is... this. It's really come full circle and Trevor Story was the first guy that we focused in on in, like, June, and I think he's going to be the last guy that we focus in on going into the offseason. He makes all the sense in the world, man. If he's going to be the fourth highest paid shortstop in this market, that has very much Cardinals written all over it. He's got the relationship with Nolan Arenado. They went out to dinner when they were in Colorado together. I have to imagine Arenado told him how great it has been to play in St. Louis. It's the pipeline, right? The Rockies position players to the Cardinals. It seems to be going that route once again. Nice to have a minor league team there. Isn't it? we can just pull from. I feel like Trevor Story becoming the next Cardinal to to follow that pipeline. It makes a lot of sense, man. And if you're able to do that, add in supplemental depth via the free agent market on the low end, lower tier free agents. Guys like who I mentioned last week to you, Alex, that you could get for like one to three million dollars. I think that's the route that they end up going. Matt Duffy. I love Matt Duffy. Is that one of the guys on the list? That was my favorite one out of all of them. I think we can do both. Uh Why not both? Let's do it. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. The Junk Drawer is at 1245. But coming up next, Mike McKenna, former NHL player, now doing some work for the Daily Faceoff. He's going to join us to talk about... Sorry, someone texted in. Don't miss your chance to blow. I've got a club for you. Mike McKenna next.
They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. So we've been talking a lot today about, or really over the last few days, the Blues young def- uh, forwards that have made an impact early in this season. And most significantly, Jake Neighbors is a guy that has really impressed everybody that has watched him so far this year. He might get a bigger opportunity tonight with Pavel Buchnevich, as you just heard there in Tanner Sports Center update, being out. He's suspended for the next two games. And at least yesterday at practice, Neighbors was one of the guys that was up there on the second line in Buchnevich's spot alongside Shin and Kairou. And right now, we are very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by former NHLer Mike McKenna joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. I did want to ask you about some of that youth that we've seen for the blues at forward is is this about as deep as you've seen them in recent years well i think so and it's kind of interesting to see the amount of turnover when you look back even to where they were when they won the stanley cup it's not the same lineup any longer there's been players that have moved in and out but you know when you look at Cairo and thomas and and the depth that the team's been able to show i like it you know and especially being able to bring bozak back on the contract they did that that really solidified me things for me with the blues and um, yeah, I, I like the position they're in. I like um, even on the decor, you know, having players that are starting to come through as, as prospects. Like you have to have that back bill to fill in the void of, you know, older players, higher priced players. You got to bring along your players through development and drafting and developing prospects. And to me, I think the Blues are on that right track right now. You know, Mike, the one development that I think a lot of people were, have been surprised by is Jordan Kyra. I mean, he had his breakout season mm-hmm. last year with this team, and he's already started off this year with six points in two games. Are we starting to see a star forward unfold for the St. Louis Blues? He's right at the cusp. And you always wonder, when's the player going to take the next step? You know, because there were times last year where I'd watch Jordan Kyrie and I'd think, man, this guy's going to get it done. Like, he is going to be a top-line center or top-line player. He's got everything in the makings of what you'd expect. Like, he can fly. That's the biggest thing in today's game. He can be a puck on when he wants to. But, you know, it just didn't come consistently. It was in waves last year. You know, obviously, putting up six points in two games is a good start. But, um, you know, I think for Cairo, that's the type of player that you're really looking at to to make that next step, right? And to start to push people out of positions. You know, you want him to take that top line spot. And um again, you know, you've got such a strong first line. You got Saad O'Reilly Perron playing together. But look at the second line now. I mean Kairu and Shen together, you know, whether whether Neil stays there or not, I mean that's a t- that's a really, really good pairing. I like it. And you always always have the availability to put Kairu with Thomas again. So um interchangeably moving that lineup around to me is a strength of the blues. Um, and I think they've got players that can fill a lot of roles and do a lot of different things. From a goalie's perspective, and we're talking with Mike McKenna here on 101 ESPN, what is it about the Blues that gives you troubles right now? Like f- From their depth at forward, what is it about them that is difficult to go up against if, if you're the goalie that is preparing for them for a game like tonight for Vegas, for example? I just don't want to see the power play. I really don't want to at all. And... and Listen, like they're clicking at 50% right now. That's not sustainable over the course of a whole season. They've only played two games. So I know what we're looking at, but like, if you're the goaltender and you're skating out on the ice 
from your bench for the first power play, and you think that you're going to face Tarasenko, O'Reilly, Shen, Perron, Krug, that's scary. And then they're going to come at you with Kyrou Falk, Thomas Bozak, Saad. I mean, that's tough. And I just I look at the chemistry that Perron had with O'Reilly last year and with Shen at times. They, those two guys feed off each other so well, and they move the puck laterally so quickly. And, and we all know David Perron can get it on and off his stick, but he just seems to be getting better. You know, <laughs> he's only signed contracts with the Blues, and you'd mm. think by this point in his career, over the age of 30 hump, that he'd be starting to tail off. Well, he posted career numbers last season, and he's become really a premier trigger man in the league. And I think if Tarasenko can get back to the point where he's you know, ripping pucks down the wing and making life nervous on a goaltender with everything going downhill. That's another layer to it. Uh, that brings you right back to where the team was when they won the Stanley Cup. Mike, uh, on the defensive side for this team, I think their defensemen have seven or eight points already in two games. Is that best-case scenario for this team? They, they no longer are that big, heavy team like they were in eighteen nineteen. but I don't think that's a bad thing when you have guys like Justin Falk who can score 20 goals in a season for you, Tori Krug, who we've seen put up 60 points with the Boston Bruins, and then the speed that they present with a Jake Wallman and a Colton Pareko. You have to have scoring from your D. And it has to come, you know, in different ways. It doesn't just have to be transition or just on power play. It needs to be comprehensive. And the best teams in the league in the last several years have had that. Look at how well Tampa Bay Lightning are able to transition the puck. It's not just Victor Hedman. It's Sergachev. It's McDonough. Uh, throughout their lineup, they're so strong at getting up the ice. And even looking towards the team that the Blues are playing against tonight, the Vegas Golden Knights, they've generated a lot of their offense from their D. In today's game, you have to have defensemen that can not only make that outstanding pass, the cross-side pass, the stretch pass, they got to be able to move their feet. And they've got to do it with the puck on their stick. And somebody as big and strong as Colton Pareko, uh, he can get through the neutral zone so quickly. And, you know, it may come in the form of secondary assists. It's not necessarily getting across the blue line and wiring a slapper right by the goalie's ears. It's about getting that puck moving. And so often it's it's just taking those first couple strides and then being involved in the rush and in transition. And the Blues now have a decor that is more mobile, um, that is capable of doing that. And the size is there still. They're big, but they can skate as well. We're talking to Mike McKenna for another couple of minutes, former NHL goalie. You can now find his work. He's doing some video work for the dailyfaceoff.com. Check out his work there. Uh, Mike, I did want to get your expertise on Jordan Bennington, because if you look at the box score, it's not all that impressive. 88% save percentage, three and a half goals allowed per game. But when you watch the games, it's calm with the extra attacker in the first game of the season. And in the last one, again, kind of late, they gave up a couple of goals. He's been impressive to me. I've been, I've been pretty impressed with what we've seen so far from Jordan Bennington. What have you seen from him? And is there anything that you've noticed that's different from what we've seen from him uh, a year ago? Yeah, I'm not concerned about Jordan Bennington at all. Two games looking at numbers. The, the numbers that you should look at are two wins. Yep. You know, and, and to me, that's the biggest thing is that, you know, as a goaltender, when you win games early in the season, you feel good about yourself. And, you know, not that Bennington needs a rebound season or anything. I, I thought that the Blues were pretty loose and, and, frankly, were just erratic last season. And Bennington, to a certain extent, too, but he still had a pretty good season. You know, it wasn't a Carter Hart 8-7-9 year. And he still had a 9-10 and won 18 games and, and was the backbone of the team. But I think after a certain point in time, you do want to see those numbers start to come. 
Um, I, I think that Bennington, to me, has looked more engaged at times this year. Like last year, it just seemed like, you know, I, I think the hunger's always there, but it didn't seem as crisp as he had been previously. Uh, and, and this year, that's where I think I'm seeing. I think his technical details are a little bit better. Um, you know, when I watch him, he's playing between his posts. He's not chasing pucks. Uh, he's very two-sided, which is a good thing. You don't want to be very one-sided as a goaltender. Uh, that had been a knock on him for a while that, hey, you know, one knee's up on his glove side and the glove's up, and, and he's not able to transition or rotate as well. And I think he's cleaned up that area to become more uh, two-dimensional go- or three-dimensional going in either direction. So, yeah, I'm not concerned with Bennington at all. And, again, after two two games, I mean, he's got two wins. Um, I like what he's done. And I just think that as the Blues start to kind of grow into who they have and their identity as a team, that team defense should come along and make things a little bit easier on him. Yeah, Mike, don't mind BK. He's just trying to find holes with Jordan Bennington every season. He's just okay. not a fan for some reason. Hey, my buddy, final one from He's me. He's think you're serious. <laughs> <laughs> That's true in every city. Everybody does that to their goalies. I'm used to it. Mike will, lived it. Mike will learn. Mike will learn. Hey, buddy, final one from me. And for those listening, they don't know, Mike McKenna was a part of the Vegas Golden Knights broadcast team for the last few seasons. Mike, Vegas is a really interesting team coming into this season because everyone still seems to think they're the favorite coming out of the Pacific Division. Still a a powerhouse when you look at the names on that team. But they had some massive decisions in the offseason of moving on from from team heart and soul guys, Marc-Andre Fleury and Ryan Reeves. Are are they going to struggle this year? I don't know if struggle is going to be the right word, but, man, I think they've made it harder on themselves. I still pick them to win the division. But right now, Max Pacioretty's out for probably six weeks, it's looking like, four to six. And Mark Stone, who knows? And those two guys represent 25% of the scoring of the Vegas Golden Knights. They are massively important up front. And you're missing Marc-Andre Fleury, who is traded, not even really just given away. Yeah, <laughs> The Golden Knights really didn't even get anything in return because uh, the player that the Hawks gave back, they ended up voiding the contract. They gave away the Vezina winner. And... They've had players walk out the door that, not walk out, but have been traded away that have been really important to that team. Ryan Reeves, um, Nick Holden, Paul Stastny, Nate Schmidt. I mean, we can go down the list, guys. This is what happens when you chase the shiny free agent every summer, one of those being Alex Petrangelo. And I don't know if you can replicate chemistry as easily as sometimes management or ownership thinks. There was a magic quality to the team in Vegas from the first year moving forward, and Marc-Andre Fleury was a huge part of that. And it's the only question to me. The Vegas Golden Knights, when they're healthy especially, have all the skill to be a contending team. I just don't know if the magic is still there. That's what I question, and I think Marc-Andre was a huge part of that. Um, And they've got an uphill battle now, especially, again, Stone and Pacioretty out of the lineup, um, a couple other players. This is... This is crunch time for the Golden Knights. They need a big performance tonight against St. Louis. That's Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, NHL analyst now for DailyFaceOff.com. Check out his work over there. Looking forward to tonight's Blues game, Blues versus Golden Knights. Pre-game coverage with Alex Ferrario coming up at 8 o'clock. Mike, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks for joining the show today. 
Anytime, man. It's great to be back in St. Louis full-time. Love coming on. It's great Absolutely. to talk with you, Mike. Thanks. to have you. It's Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, joining us here on 101 ESPN. It's interesting on the Golden Knights, and I am a little disappointed that tonight we're not going to be able to see Pacioretty and Mark Stone going up against the Blues. We talked about this a little bit yesterday, Alex, but this could have been... The first real measuring stick game for the Blues because they didn't get to go up against the A-list version of the Avs. They went up against the Coyotes, who I know give the Blues troubles, but this team's not going to be good this year. And now you had an opportunity to go up against what should be one of the top contenders in the Western Conference and maybe the NHL as a whole this year. And they're not the team that they're going to be eventually. So that does kind of stink from that perspective, but... Uh, we're going to be able to see that they're still a good team. They've got a lot of depth. So I'm curious to see what the Blues look like tonight against what is going to be a formidable opponent. Yeah, th- this is interesting, though. And I'll get the numbers tonight on, on pregame. But Mike's right. I-, I mean, you take Stone and Patch, you're ready. You're pretty much taking 25%, if not more, of their offense away. So this isn't going to be the same matchup that you're going to see later in the season when all of their teams return. And frankly, Vegas might be aggressive and try and make some type of move to bring a player in. I heard people talking about possibly Jack Eichel, which is insane to me, but this is going to still be a good opponent for the blues to go up against because their defense is fully healthy. But that's why I asked about Mark Andre Fleury, because I'm not sold on Robin Leonard as the starting goaltender. So this should be a game that the Blues pulled two points away from because of Vegas's um, uh, uh, handicap with the guys that are out for this game. But they don't have Buchnevich as well. So this is going to be a, an interesting matchup, but it's one of the those games like Colorado you can't take a whole lot of stock into because of what's happened. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up at about 15 minutes or so, there's an irony about how Mike Schiltz was fired and why he was let go that I do think deserves a little bit of attention. We'll do that at 1 o'clock. But coming up next, time for the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. junk drawer in about 10 minutes or so we'll talk about the irony of mike schiltz firing and i'm not trying to besmirch his uh reputation or anything this is not going down that direction but for months the number one criticism that i heard about mike schiltz was that he didn't have enough fire enough brimstone and yet now that he's been fired it's coming out that that might have been part of why he was let go was that he had too much of it so we'll get into that coming up at one o'clock but alex let's dive into the junk drawer you told us yesterday you got a story about your daughter that you would like to tell us about yeah well and i'm sure parents listening right now you've all been so helpful with me throughout this uh new baby process well i'm back to needing help again Uh uh-oh my baby's on the move And like when I say on the move, I don't mean like, you know, like the cute crawling from little place to little place and you're watching it. No, I mean, like the other day I had to go to the bathroom. And so she was sitting in her little play area. I came back and my kid's entire hand was in my dog bowl. Like it was in the dog bowl and she's like splashing around with it. I don't know what to predict with this baby, but she's everywhere. She's been in the dog's bowl. As I mentioned, she's been on the dog's bed which I think is a little dangerous. Our 70-pounder dog is getting a little sketchy with her. we got to have our dog whisperer come in. She's been trying to, so we have one of these gates. BT actually recommended it for me. One of those gates that you, it's like mesh, you pull it across and yeah, it locks in. Yeah, we got in. one of those. Yeah, well, she's trying to figure out how to get through that now. She's freaking everywhere, and I don't know what to do. 
You looking at me for help, buddy? Well, no, I'm not because there were <laughs> like, kids on the help? there were it. there were kids on the roof again at BK's oh. neighbors, and he just sat there and watched them again happen again with this again. I'm serious though. I like, don't think their parents are home. No, I don't think so either. This this kid is everywhere, and I'm really. I feel like this is just. Listen, I, I I don't know anything about anything when it comes to parenting, and I'm not trying to give you advice because I don't know. That's my that's my answer. Like, put that out there. Okay, now I can give you the secondary part. Isn't this kind of what you expect? Like, don't kids just start moving yeah, around a bunch? But here's the thing, like. Parents that you'll know this, like you got to be able to to be able to do other things, like you know, trying to maintain the that's house. When the bouncer comes into effect, right? So that's the thing. She'll she'll do the bouncer, but now that she can move, the bouncer's only fun for like five minutes, and mm. then it's like, yeah, I want out of this because I can't go anywhere else. And I, somebody said. Get a leash. No, I'm not getting a leash. Um, I, I, I'm not saying a word about it. I've gotten Fred, in trouble for those in the past. Yeah, I'm out. No, I'm no, that conversation. It's not, I mean, to, to each his own. I just, I, for me, it's just like, I, I don't even know because then it's like you're sitting there the whole time and that's the big thing. I've heard about this playpen idea, but here's the other problem. My baby's like a freaking Hulk. So the other day she was yanking on Katie's necklace and I mean, I'm no joke. She ripped it off of her neck. Oh yeah, she doesn't know how strong she She's is. She's stronger than you, BK. That's not a high bar to clear. <laughs> so I'm, I'm I'm in a little bit of a pickle here, guys, because I don't know what to do. I feel like right now the only thing I can do is either carry her around with what's me the, everywhere. What's the thing the that you... The baby Bjorn? Yeah, why yeah, don't you just use that? I can't wear the baby because that's the problem. The baby doesn't want to be contained. She wants to move. Well, I mean, I feel like she's hey, got to learn eventually. She can't always get what she wants. Yeah, let her be. Oh, I was going <laughs> to say let her be free. Hey, when you go to the store, no, you let them be free. Then they're on the shed's roof next door. Maybe not yeah. that free. That's or, a little too or free. I would recommend she's like not. drinking the dog's water. <laughs> Alex, but. just strap her to your chest and make her wear aviators. That's Baby what I'm Carlos, saying. she didn't get the hangover reference. I did. That's that's no. how you make it happen. You figure it out, man. I I don't know. Someone <laughs> said your SOL with this one, Alex. It just gets worse. Baby proof the house. We've already done that. We did that before the baby was even born. Like we got the electrical outlets. And I mean, the dog bowls, like we don't know what, like for that, it's just a matter of making sure she's not anywhere near it because you can't block those off. What if you put them somewhere else whenever they're not in use? Could you do that? The dog bowls? Yeah, I could, but the dogs know where it is. got a schedule? Yeah, the dog knows where it is. Do do they graze or do they have a specific eating time? They graze. Well, yeah, they got a specific eating time, but they don't have a specific drinking water time. I mean, they'll let you know if they need water. <laughs> as, as somebody who has a dog, my, if she needs water and there's none in there, she makes sure to let us know immediately, right? It doesn't fix your issue with the no. with the bed, though. Yeah, no, Everyone. I don't. I don't know what to do with the bed. But I mean, I I feel like this is what's expected, man. I know it's it's got to be exhausting. I can't even imagine. This, I remember having a puppy, and that was enough for me. This one, right? Oh, you're in for a rude awakening when yeah, you get married, I mean, buddy. From the 636, changed my life when I brought my daughter home and went to make her a bottle and came back, and she was freaking gone. Uh, I, I hope you found her, 636. She's I, on I, the roof next door. I'll, I'll, I'll grab her for you. You let me know when you like, need to get her back. But that's my concern. She's got seven others. They're also more than... <laughs> so, and this was the thing that Katie and I had a conversation with the other night, because now I feel like a bad dad, because there are times where it's like, okay, you have to go to the bathroom. I'm not going to take the baby into the bathroom with me. Sure. So I'll put her in her jumper. And I'll like turn on television for her so she'll get distracted. So I know she's in one area and can't crawl away. But my wife's like, you got to take her with you. And I'm like, well, if I take her with, that's weird. I don't want to take the kid into the bathroom with me. How old is your daughter? Seven months. She ain't going to remember any of this. I don't care. That's still weird. I, 
I, I don't find that to be weird. You change her on a day-to-day basis. Also, I find that weird too. I mean, it. this is... That's what everyone tells me. Everyone's like, you're a imagine. dad. It's not weird. It's kind of weird. Somebody says BK sounds like a terrible da- dog dad. Are you a bad why. dog dad? I don't think so. Because we don't have water at all times in her bowl. Yeah, there's some times where it gets to the bottom because she's crazy and drinks all of it. <laughs> like, I... I feel Pop, like everybody. Up. You're like a waiter, dude. That's kind of how it yeah. works. Yeah, you should get your dog one of those little bells so yeah. when she walks over to her water bowl, she dings it and then we Wait, know. Is your dog's name Bell? It is, yeah. Bell needs a bell. See, 618, it's very weird. Don't do that, Alex. What is? It's weird taking the kid into the bathroom with you. Is it? Yes. Yeah, I don't know if I would do that. That's weird. I keep the door I mean, closed with my wife. home and you're, you're at home with your like, seven-month-old daughter, I feel do, like there's you not leave a the door of other open? options. Do you leave the door open? With Kara, if you use the restroom? No, Kara's a 29-year-old grown-ass woman. I don't think that's the same thing. Well, I'm just saying. It's weird, man. Am I am I, I am actually curious about this because, again, I don't have children. Am I wrong on this? I mean, I wouldn't Is take my kid into the bathroom now, with me. Same way, four-year-old, nine-month-old daughter, and my wife tells me to take them into the shower with me, and I said, no freaking way. That's weird. Agreed. I, how, like, how old? Uh, four years old and a nine-month-old. Four year olds, yeah, nine old. month old is the one that I, even that four I year olds do. very weird. Nine month old, that's that's not that weird. Four years old, I think you're. I don't know where the cutoff is, Heck, but that feels old, to me like that can take care of the nine month old. It's just weird. Yeah, it's I, just it. You know, I just I feel weird with it. I this, get it. <laughs> this this one's got to be a uh, troll, not a text. Someone just said melatonin. <laughs> I think I'll stay away from that one while they're seventh old. It's 1259. Your top check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, joining the show at 1.30 to talk a little bit more about tonight's Blues versus Golden Knights matchup and what the Blues will do without Pavel Buchnevich in the lineup. But coming up next, Mike Schilt, no longer the Cardinals manager. One of the biggest criticisms of him was that he didn't show enough fire in front of the media. Did he show a little bit too much fire behind the scenes? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big pan. I don't think Alex knew that he was on the air right there. Was it really? No, you weren't on the air. Yeah, we're not oh, on the really? air. You just have no. one headphone off of your ear so you hear way what's re- actually wow, going way, on. Way to expose us when we're off we can, air. We can redo it if you'd like. I'm fine can singing that. Can we do that, that one more time? Uh, you got to yeah. restart the open. come back in with the same intro and everything? Uh, yeah. We're coming back from break. Here we go in three, <laughs> two, one. That's where the head bob comes in here for a minute. You know, I shadowed in beatboxing for a while in high school. They called me Mr. Beatbox. Daryl Del that beat. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, some NFL quick hitters. But right now, there is an interesting thing that is happening with Mike Schiltz, and it's a little bit of irony that's taking place. So I was reading Ben Fredrickson's uh, chat that he did yesterday over on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and somebody asked him about, you know, what is it that led to this? How did we get here with Mike Schiltz where a month ago we were celebrating the team after they won 17 straight and made the postseason, and now he's no longer the Cardinals manager? And Ben Fred was saying, like, listen, you know, there, there's a lot that's gone into this, as we've all now learned. He also added this. He said Schiltz was pushing too hard, it seems now. He wanted the Cardinals' knowledge to remain with the Cardinals, like Chris Carpenter, for example. He was going to point out where he felt that the team could get better. 
Schilt could run hot, sometimes too hot. There were two misconceptions of Schilt that I tried to point out in real time. He did not lack the fire, and he was definitely not a yes man for the front office, as some of his biggest critics suggested. There were some clashes, and as the page turned from 2021 to looking forward, something happened that the front office decided the differences there were just too much to get over. Again, that came from Ben Fredrickson of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I think the part that I find most interesting there, Alex, is the two things that were misconceptions. One, that he didn't have enough of a mean streak in him. And apparently that was one of the things that became a little bit problematic behind the scenes, not in front of the media. And two, uh, that he did push back on the front office, maybe too hard, maybe so much so that he didn't realize what his role was and what his limitations were within that role. Do you find that to be interesting? And are you surprised by that at all? I'm very surprised by it. I do find it to be interesting, but part of me also looks at that and says the pushback that we were frustrated with was with the play of the team, right? Like we didn't like Mr. Positivity. Remember it's, it's uh, you live longer if you're an optimist, according to Mike Schilt, which we all should take a little bit of that BK, but that's what the pushback came with because every game when they would lose and they'd have two hits, it's all, well, they battled hard out there. The pushback with the front office I didn't know that. I'm surprised by that. And frankly, I respect Mike Schilt a lot more because of it. But it still frustrated me on the side of the pushback on the player side when things weren't going well. And it was always the ultimate optimist of, oh, it will be fine. Oh, they're playing and working their tails off. That's the part that it was like, eh, I'd like to see a little bit more. Frankly, this isn't a good example because he hasn't worked out either with the Yankees. But Aaron Boone style, remember after they struggled, he's like, we got to be better. I think that was taking place behind the scenes. And I feel like I can speak from experience when I say it's not your job. There's some of that with Mike Schilt. Uh, Schilty had some fire to him. And we would, oh, that's what the experience is. Yeah, we <laughs> uh, we saw it in game. Like you could see anytime he got fired up inside of the dugout, he would let the ump hear it. And he got tossed. Was few it times this th- year? Was it three or four times this year? I yeah. think so he. He was not a guy that just stayed back and was super reserved. Like, I always think that the guy that immediately comes to mind for me when I think of coaches, and this is not baseball, but uh, coaches that are just, what do you do here exactly? It's Jason Garrett, the former uh, Cowboys head coach. He'd be on the sidelines, and it was just, he'd be clapping just at all times. He never called plays. He never seemed to be talking to his players. He'd just be sitting there clapping like, yeah, good work, boys. Good work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got a punt there. That was great. That's because Jerry Jones loved him, and he knew he wasn't going to get fired. And so with... With Mike Schiltz, I never got that feel from no, him. No, you're right. I do think he had command in the clubhouse, and it's become very clear since he was fired that he did want to have maybe more of a say with the front office. And if you listened closely in his post-game press conferences, he would give you hints at all of this. I mean, you didn't have to listen closely to our interaction that we had um, to, to be able to know that he had some of that fire in him. He put you in your place. It's he not did. your job. That's correct. Thank you, Mike. He also would tell you subtly that he wanted something after certain games he would make it very clear i'm managing the roster that i have been given you can read between the lines there it's not hard to see when he went to a guy in a in a tough spot that nobody outside of the cardinals organization trusts reliever more more often than not why'd you do that there mike well you know this is the these are the hands that i've been dealt 
oh, so you want better relievers. Like, that's what he's saying there. And if he's saying that publicly, I can guarantee you he was saying that stuff privately as well. I do think this... One thing that the Cardinals are going to have an interesting situation to deal with moving forward, though, is now that Mike Schultz has been fired, and maybe this was 10% of the reason, it was probably not 0%, though. I think they're going to have to figure out a way to sell their fan base on the fact that the, the manager, whoever it ends up being, is not just a puppet for them. Because if you're, if you're looking, if, you're, if Mike Schultz wasn't enough of a yes man for you, you're going to have to convince the fan base that the next guy isn't just a yes man. And I think that the Cardinals fans, given what they've grown up with, grown accustomed to with TLR and Whitey Herzog, they want the manager to at least have some say. And maybe it's the Dave Roberts, I've got one vote amount of say, but they've got to have some. And I think the front office is going to have to repair some of that in terms of the public trust that people have within whoever ends up becoming the next manager. And I don't know how they do that. It's going to take some time to be able to regain that trust. Yeah, and and I agree with the, the text that came in from the 573. Shame on the brass for not being able to cool him down when needed. You want your manager to have fire. That's where I'm at, and that's why this has been so frustrating because if it is true that he has been pushing back a little bit and wanting a better roster, and front office gets upset about that because, oh, well, you need to let us do our job and you do your job. That's ridiculous. Like, I want my manager to have some fire. I want my manager to have a little bit like, hey, I want to win a World Series. Get me the pieces that can get there. And if that's why he was fired, and look, again, I'm with you. I don't think it's the whole reason. I think it's part of the reason. That's going to be tough for the front office to come back from because if you're getting a manager who says, you know what, I'll do whatever you give me, well, then that gives a little bit more leeway for the front office to sit here and be like, no, we're going to stick to the program. Whereas if you have somebody pushing back and saying, no, look, this is great. We can do make do with this, but we want to be better. And here's how we get better. I think you're going to be in a bad situation. I think when your point, BK, of how can you sell the fan base on that whoever the next manager is isn't just a puppet for the front office, I think the way you do that is you do stuff that is not what the analytics tell you. And part of that will be kind of what we talked about earlier have the starter face the lineup a third time through. Don't necessarily have such a quick hook on starting pitchers like that. Do some gut-feeling things where maybe you look at it and you say, okay, so-and-so fits this scenario better. I want to try somebody else because I think that's going to work out better for me. You're going to have to make moves that maybe you question at the time but aren't necessarily analytically driven. Like the, To me, the biggest one is the pitchers. I don't know if there's any other one that you can really look at. Starting pitchers are the one to me that you're going to look at and you say, oh, wow, he let what, like Wayno. He let Wayno go out for the eighth inning there. I thought maybe he should be pulled. I'm sure the numbers said he should be pulled, but he went with him for his gut feeling. I think that's a good way to not have the job any longer, though, given well, I agree. what we have, I mean, we have just seen. So I don't, I don't know that that's going to be happening. I, I wonder, I, I feel like this is more personnel side, at least for me. And you mentioned it, Alex, how if if Schilt was pushing for these things, that's not necessarily inherently a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. I think it's good to have the front office pushed at times. And even if that's coming from the manager or from middle management, maybe it is a guy like uh, Michael Gersh or somebody else within the front office that's not John Mosellock who's saying, hey, nudge in a, a wink here. Like, hey, we got we got to do something about this. We need to have a little more urgency here. That can be good. And I think if you're a fan, that's something that you want to be happening. That's the thing that I'm going to be very curious about for the next manager, because your job's on the line. If you don't win enough, like in June, if that's when most of this was happening and Mike Schilt was like, hey, 
look at what's happening to our team. I need more. You guys have to do more for this pitching. It's breaking. We don't have anything right now available to us. And if the front office were like, yeah, yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. I can. I would be furious if I was the manager because it's my job on the line, not yours, because I'm the first one that's going to get fired if this goes south, as we have seen. That's when things will be interesting for the next manager. If they go through a bad month, not like June, but just a bad month early in the season next year, what's it sound like from the manager? What's he saying publicly and privately? That's when I'm going to be interested to find out how much of a quote-unquote yes man they are. And I wonder, the new manager, I, Schilt, it makes a lot of sense for him pushing back that last year because he was heading into that final year of his contract, so he was going to be a lame lame duck manager. If I'm a new manager, let's say the new manager gets, I don't know, let's say three-year deal with a club option for a fourth. Are you really going to push the first two years? I mean, you're pretty safe. When you start getting into that territory, okay, I need to start winning as a manager, that's when you need to really start pushing. That's what I'll be curious to see is, will that go on? The first year, I don't know if it will. It may just be one of those where it is kind of the puppet that says, oh, yeah, we got a great roster. I don't know if I really need much. But by the time you get on that uh, stage of, I need to win, and I need to win now because my next contract's on the line. That's when a manager needs to start pushing. Pretty safe, but that's how you lose a clubhouse because if you want to win and a clubhouse sees a manager just sitting there and saying, yeah, I'll do whatever you guys feel is best, that's not a, that's not a winning mindset. I want a guy who's going to have a little bit of push rather than just sit there and do what he's told. Much like the analytics discussion, most of this, the, the, the answer should lie somewhere in the middle, right, where you, you got to push, but you got to know when to stop. You got to know when the answer is no, when you should keep pushing and when you should say, okay, that's the final answer. I'm not going to be getting that. We can move forward with what we've got and I'll make the best of it. And I think that might be something that ended up coming back to bite Mike Schultz in this spot. It's one fifteen. your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. The ver- voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joining us in about 15 minutes or so to talk about tonight's Blues versus Golden Knights game. What's he expect the second line to look like with Pavel Buchnevich suspended for the next two games? We'll ask Chris Kerber about that at, a- at about one thirty. But coming up next, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, in- including an AFC contender. Uh, that may not be contending for a whole lot this year. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's PK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. All right, time for some NFL quick hitters. It is a rough time to be a Browns fan right now. Coming into the season, I think when I is might it have, not a rough time. Might have BKO'd them, man. I thought they were going to be one of the Super Bowl contenders. They're now 3-3 three and three on the season, and it was announced today Baker Mayfield will not start on Thursday night football, a game you'll hear right here on 101 ESPN tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. It's going to be Case Keenum starting. They're also expected to be without w. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Never Jarvis mind. Landry has been hurt. <laughs> this offense went from being one of the most explosive and exciting offenses in all of football. 2A? Dumpster fire. You are a factory of sadness. Yeah, that's what we were looking for. Yeah, seriously. They're all out tomorrow night against the Broncos. I think I'm going to be picking the Broncos in that game. Yeah, and the 101 ESPN Pick'em Challenge, 75% are going Broncos. And I think really? I'm. No, 75% are going Browns. Okay. And I'm going Broncos because I do not believe your offense in that game is Dearness Johnson. Case Keenum and OBJ. And frankly, that is a catastrophe in the making. Are the Browns going to make the playoffs? No, I don't think so. I think it depends on how quickly Mayfield gets back. If Mayfield can get back 
fairly quickly from this shoulder injury, then I think they can sneak in as like that seven but Mayfield's seed. been brutal this year. I know, year. he's not been very good. I, I, think, I think he's a quarterback that can get you to the playoffs. I don't know if he can ever get you past the I hump th- of like the first round. Can he get you there without those two running backs, though? Because that's been their identity. This, yeah. this would be like the Cardinals being without Tommy Edmond at second base and Harrison Bader in center field. Like they, they don't have the identity now. The defense that they're built upon is is fractured, and that's the same thing for the Browns, where they no longer have the thing that makes them go, which is the running game. I, I think the playoff team is going to be tomorrow night, who the winner of tomorrow night's game. I, I think that's what the battle is, because if the Browns get in, it's going to be that final team, and I think it's going to come down to the Broncos fighting for it as well. See, maybe mine is less... Not so much in the Browns, but I still have some skepticism of some of the teams that are ahead of them. So like, let's let's do this real quick. I think this is an interesting uh, interesting proposition. So we all think the Bills are going to make the playoffs, right? Yeah. yeah. We all think that the Ravens will get in. Yep. Mm-hmm. The Titans out of the AFC South. Yep. <laughs> yeah. The Chiefs and the Chargers out of the AFC West. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. So you've got two spots that are remaining. The teams that you're probably looking at there: the Bengals, the Browns. Raiders and Broncos, and maybe you could see the Patriots or Steelers getting into the mix. I don't see the Patriots getting into the mix, nor I do see I the see Steelers. I don't see the Steelers. I can see the Bengals getting. See, for me, it would go Broncos are the one that I would assume is going to be in, and then it comes down to Bengals and Browns. And if, what about Raiders? Ah, I just don't have a lot of faith. Yeah, in now still. with the Gruden situation, I just I know they won this past week against Denver, but I, I just don't see That's them. Fair. I just thought four and two. Yeah, no, I'm with you. But I, frankly, I think the Bengals are a better team. I think what Joe Burrow, along with Jamar Chase, has put together, it's just a matter of if their defense can hold up. Um, that would be the two teams for me coming out of the AFC would be the Bengals and um, the Broncos. So I'm so so I'm assuming the Chiefs are going to be my wild card. I think the Chargers will win the AFC West, and then I will go with the other one being I think the Bengals are a playoff team. Wow. And then to me, it comes down to Denver. You and, need to apologize to the Bengals. I do because I thought they were the dumbest team in NFL for not drafting a left tackle and letting their guy. I guess Joe Burrow is just fine with the fact of eating a lot of turf throughout this season and still making touchdowns. Yeah, it'll be fine. Uh, but Sorry, I, I, I think they are don't a playoff team. To I think my other one, it comes down to, because I don't think Pittsburgh's there. I still don't have much faith in Las Vegas. I, I think it's going to come down to, like you said, Denver, Cleveland. But even if Denver wins this one, I don't know if I'm going to give them the edge because I do believe even without their running backs, I think Baker Mayfield is a better quarterback than Teddy Bridgewater with his pieces around him to get Cleveland over the hump and into the playoff I think I picture. need to apologize, too, for the Raiders because I was all ready to back those guys this season, and, man, yeah, they the just Raiders. disappointed. I'm not completely out on them just yet. That offense, I think, is good enough I, to be able I to keep the them offense, in it. I'm not sold the, on the defense. See, I no, was sold on the defense at the beginning of the season. I wasn't sold on the offense. Yeah, I, I think their offense is pretty good, and their schedule opens up. They've got the Eagles and Giants over the next couple of weeks, Washington later on. Uh, they've got the Colts still on the schedule. I think they could get to nine or ten wins. I think it's going to be the Raiders as the third team out of the AFC West. I think they get three. And then I think it comes down to the, whichever team you like out of the AFC North between the Bengals and the Browns. 636 Raiders fan here. I hate all of you. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next thing for NFL quick hitters. Derrick Henry just rushed for like a thousand yards on Monday night. Oh, that's got to be a record. He now gets the Chiefs run defense. Oh, oh, baby. On Sunday. Five touchdowns in the first quarter. Take the over. Is he going to break the single (laughs) single game record for rushing yards in a game? Isn't Tyron Matthew out too? No. Oh, I thought he had uh, broken his thumb. He will be playing. With a broken thumb? Yeah. That a boy. 
the rushing record like for a single game is 296 yards oh, by yeah. Adrian Peterson yeah, back in 2007. He almost broke that against the Bills. Did he have 294? Uh, two. I don't have what he had in that game. I thought it was 294. Maybe I'm mistaken with that. Regardless, he's going to break it against the Chiefs. I mean, what's he going to worry about? Chris Jones? And that's it? He had 145 against the Bills. Jesus. I don't know where I got 294 I from. Either. He had a good game. Must have been drinking that night. Um, Same. <laughs> he has yeah. gotten close a few times. Uh, in his career, he had one game of 250. He had another game of 238. Who were those teams? Uh, he went up against the Texans last year. Okay, well, the Chiefs defense are worse. And the Jags in 2018. Chiefs defense is worse. Okay, so he'll break it. I think he's got a real shot. How many touchdowns? If I put the over three. under at four and a half. I'd take the under. I'd go three. I'd take the I over. I think four is a lot. I'd, I'd, I'd take, take the, the over. Under. I think he'll get about three because that's going to be what they're going to do. They're probably going to try and just keep that defense on the field. Although I did pick up Ryan Tannehill uh, in my fantasy league Smart. because my quarterback Chief actually got an anybody. off night. So I'm hoping Tannehill decides to run a couple QB sneaks and not slip like Josh Allen. Wow. Do you think he breaks it? I don't think so. I, I think he has a shot, but I don't think he'll break it. I think somehow the Chiefs will learn to tackle him, you but maybe get, not. As Eminem once said, you only get one shot. Don't let it blow. The other news uh, today in the NFL, Whitney Merciless, former linebacker for the Texans, pro bowler and all pro for them in the past, has not had a great year so far this season. He's a little washed up, but he does have the history. And he was released by the Texans. He has now been signed by the Green Bay Packers. Over the last few weeks, the Packers have now signed Jalen Smith, who was a a big name acquisition from the Cowboys, even if his game doesn't necessarily match his reputation. And Whitney Merciless from the Texans. Is this the Packers trying to appease Aaron Rodgers? Because these are not the types of moves that they would have made in years past, right? I don't know if it's trying to appease Aaron Rodgers as much as it's trying to solidify their one last run, the last dance with Aaron Rodgers. Because, I mean, the holdup with this Green Bay team has been their defense. Like, we're just unsure about it. And, I mean, you've signed, granted, they've struggled as of late, but you've signed some pretty good linebackers into what they were in the past. So I don't know if this is trying to to appease Aaron Rodgers as much as, much as it's trying to let's win a Super Bowl before he leaves. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I, I'm not sure if it appeases Rodgers. I'm sure it does somewhat, but I think it is kind of their defense is just so beat up right now. They have so many injuries on the defensive side of the ball. I, I think it's one of those where it's like, all right, it's either this or nothing. even deeper into the dumpster. So we'll just take what's on top. It, it's a little less dirty, so we'll take those what's guys. It, what's deeper into the dumpster in the uh, NFL? Who's uh, out there? I don't know. Probably pulling a linebacker out of retirement. I'm sure there's somebody Clay Matthews. in Kansas City there that would go. like to do that. What does that mean? They don't have very many good linebackers right well, now. Well, I thought Frank Clark was incredible. No. Um, <laughs> I think this is a little bit to do with Aaron Rodgers. I think we're underestimating the amount of impact that his statements over the offseason made on this organization. They brought in Randall Cobb for seemingly no reason because he's been terrible for a couple of years now. He's been pretty good for them. That was trying to make amends for Aaron Rodgers, who didn't want him moved in the past. Yeah, absolutely. And now I think they're going out there, and if big-name players are available, they're going to be in on it. They're, they're, they're going like to say... Re-gifting. Yeah. It's not a new shiny. It's like re-gifting. Oh, oh look what I we have that. to find. Here I you love go. That. Five years ago, this was great. Yeah. Enjoy it. It's like the Cardinals rotation this year. Here, John Lester. I did that with Jay a, Happ. did that with a toaster a couple of years ago. Is that why you gave me a toaster for our wedding? Hey, man, I ain't going to give you a gift for a wedding. What I'm going to do is like Creed Bratton from The Office. I'm going to just put a card on someone else's gift. Ah, oh, damn. I showed my hand. Come on. 
gave us a toaster for Kara's wedding shower. I did not because I wasn't a part of Kara's wedding shower. You're, I'm you're, surprised you're I was even it. invited. It was nice I was surprised I was even invited to the bachelor party. Uh, speaking of, guess who <laughs> was invited? Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrari on 101 ESPN. The crossover in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, the basement by myself. We'll talk to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, about who he thinks will fill in for Pavel Buchnevich tonight in the Blues lineup. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, next on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We're hoping to have Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, here in just a little bit. He's a little busy right now, so hopefully we'll be able to catch up with him momentarily. Uh, the big news at Blues Skate today, Alex, is that James Neal was off the ice early and Kyle Clifford was going through extra drills, which indicates that James Neal is going to be in the lineup for the Blues tonight. Ah, 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 ah. James, the real deal, Neal. Thank you very much. So James Neal looks like we'll be in the lineup tonight. Here's the question, though. I, I, I think we were both kind of leaning that direction that it made more sense for James Neal to be out there. But the question is, where do you put these guys? Because you've got two open slots on the fourth line, and it's Clem Costin, James Neal, and Jake Neighbors are the three options that you have for those two spots and one slot that is now available with Pavel Buchnevich being out of the lineup today on the second line with Braden Shin and Jordan Kyrou. Alex, if you were in charge today, and I know you're not, but if you were in charge today, how would you distribute those three players? Well, here's how I would do it. Um, I'm not touching Sato, Riley, Perron. That line's staying together, and Perron's going to be in today. Craig Berube said so. Uh, I'm not going to touch my third line. Thomas and Tarasenko, and by not touching it, I'm meaning putting Ivan Barbashev there because James Neal was taken off of that, and in the Coyotes game, it started out with Ivan Barbashev on that line, and frankly, I thought it was a really good line. So I'm keeping that line intact. Now the question becomes your second and your fourth line. And if it were me, I'm not messing with my fourth line. My fourth line had two goals in that hockey game on top of multiple scoring opportunities. And Jake Neighbors performed really well. And I think Clem Costin is starting to feel it a little bit. So I'm going to keep my fourth line intact and I'm going to make that my secret weapon. Jake Neighbors, Tyler Bozak, and Clem Costin. Which means I'm going to put James the Real Deal Neal on my second line. And I think I really like the idea of that. It's no coincidence James Neal was out of that game against the Coyotes. He didn't have the greatest performance, but he wasn't bad. I think if he plays on a line with the speed of Jordan Cairo and the skill set of Braden Shen, James Neal offers a lot that Pavel Buchnevich does. He goes to the front of the net, and he's not afraid to get dirty along the boards. So that's how I would do it, because I also don't want to overexpose Jake Neighbors. I think I would go the opposite route. I think I would go with Jake Neighbors, but there is that risk that you just mentioned. There's the risk that he's a little overexposed. He's more of a 9 to 12 minute player right now as opposed to 15 to 18 minutes uh, of ice time. And that extra five-ish minutes or so, that's where things get a little dicey with him. He's 19 years old. He shouldn't be expected to be a top six forward right now at this point in his career. He may get there, but he shouldn't be expected to be there right now. 
That being said, he's got some really good line mates in Jordan Cairo and Braden Shin if he's up there on that second line. And I'd like to see how he interacts with those guys on the ice. Let's find out what he could do with top-end talents next to him. I don't know if it'd go well, but I'm willing to find out for a game. You've got Pavel Buchnevich out for the next two days, or two games, rather. This is where you could do something like this. This yeah. is It opens up an opportunity that otherwise wouldn't be presented you're going to deal with injuries at some point over the course of the season. And maybe Jake neighbors is a guy that will get another shot up in the top six. If he plays well in this game. So I think I would go with neighbors. He's proven enough to me in the first two games that he's at least going to be a guy that makes an impact when he's on the ice. I'd like to see it in the second line. I, if I had to guess what they'll do, I think they go James Neal. Yeah, but I I would not mind seeing Jake Neighbors in that spot. Um, Baruby said he was still mulling over that decision, and, and the thing with Jake Neighbors is Braden Chen is a mentor to him, so it wouldn't surprise me if Neighbors was playing with him in tonight's game. We are now going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line for just another couple of minutes with Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, I want to bring you in on the conversation that we were just having. Uh, there's a decision tonight for Craig Berube with Bucinavich being suspended for the next two games. He's got to find the replacement, at least for tonight, for who's going to be on that second line. And it looks like James Neal and Jake Neighbors are probably the two most likely options uh, do you think that he's leaning one direction or the other? And what do you think are some of the positives or negatives about going either direction? Well, we literally, thanks for adjusting fellas as we were just in our coaches meeting with Craig Berube there. So, uh, and I, and I just stepped aside from it uh, as it was still going on. So I, I look, Jake neighbors is, has earned that. So Jake neighbors is going to go on that second line. James Neal is going to play on that fourth line tonight on the right side. Costa will move over to the left of, of Tyler Bozak. And then those are the two options that, that they have right now. And it shows the depth that we've talked a lot about with this hockey team and, and the options that, that they have. And if, if there's a matchup that Las Vegas is getting or things are getting a little heavy maybe for Jake, you know, then they've got the opportunity to go ahead and put Jake down the line, move James Neal up. You, you know, and so they really, and that's, that's the great thing about the way this team is built right now. The flexibility that they have to make these decisions is, is huge. So, you know, Pavel Buchnevich gets suspended for, for two games, and, and you're putting in a guy that had scored 20 goals 10 times in his career in the lineup that didn't play the last game. That, that, that's a pretty good option to have. Curbs, Craig Berube said the other night after that Colorado Avalanche game that the focus against the Coyotes was just not playing to the score, where they're up by four or five goals and letting the team back in. They did that against the Coyotes. Berube got the team back on track, and they won that game. How, how does he try and get these guys to avoid that in games moving forward? You know, you got to look at some of the the way that the puck was bouncing. You got you got to look at certain situations like that. You tighten some things up. You know, like we saw in the one point, sat Clint Costin for a couple of shifts, put a veteran guy in that spot to just try and kind of re grab control of the game. Things along those kind of lines. A couple of in game adjustments. You know, part of it is 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 kind of the puck play and protecting the puck and and making quick puck decisions. And in the early going here, that's something that Craig has said that he he, he wants to see a little bit better. You know, for this team. And, and have them do that. So just smarter puck decisions at those critical moments are things that don't fuel the momentum of the other team and could actually get it going back your way. Curves, final question that I've got for you. What have you seen so far from Vladimir Tarasenko? Uh, I wasn't, wasn't all that thrilled with game number one. I, I thought we saw a lot more assertiveness in game number two. You know, uh, again, this is a team that get that – I think, and we watched practice yesterday, we saw some drills specifically related to this. This is a team that is based on 
Um, really good, smart puck movement, breaking out of the zone right, giving the guy the puck at the right time. And and so I, I think I think if we see some of those sharper puck decisions what comes with, with just getting that, that feel back and more and more game time and, and chemistry with his line mates, you know, then you'll see it. But I, I thought at least the way he was cutting to the net, I thought the way he was uh, was taking the puck and shooting it and, and some real intent to his game was a positive in game two and a little bit better than game one. Well, hopefully we see a little more of that tonight against the Golden Knights. Blues versus Vegas tonight. Pre-game with Alex Ferrario beginning at 8 o'clock. Puck drop with Chris Kerber and Joey Vitale coming up at 9. Kerbs, we always appreciate it, man. Have a good one. We'll talk with you again soon. Okay, guys. Thanks for adjusting. Have a great day. Yeah, man. No problem. That's Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Hey, the Blues Bud Light 14th Street Party presented by 101 ESPN happening this Saturday outside of Enterprise. Fans will, uh, with or without tickets for the home opener that night are invited to join in on the pregame fun this Saturday afternoon. You can enjoy live music from the Steve Ewing Band, hear from the Blues broadcasters, have a chance to win some Blues prizes throughout the day, plus the Bud Light Happy Hour pricing, local food trucks, appearances by Louie, and much, much more. The Blues Bud Light 14th Street Party this Saturday starting at 2. Details at 101ESPN.com. We'll cross things over with the Fast Lane coming up next. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers, Donnie Fandango, and Jeff Burton for a very special live last-minute blues podcast, rather, with blues legend Brett Hall next Saturday afternoon at Brett Hall's Junction House in Winsville. Jamie, Donnie, Jeff, they're going to sit down with the blues legend for a live conversation and a Q&A on stage. Get there as early as 2 o'clock, grab a seat, get entered to win some awesome blues giveaways, plus enjoy the signature cocktail menu and the wide variety of menu items over at Junction House. A live, uncensored, last-minute blues podcast with Brad Hole starting at 3 o'clock next Saturday afternoon. Get all the details right now over at 101 ESPN. Dot com. Time to cross things over. We've got the fast lanes. Anthony Stalter in studio with us. Stalter, what's going on, what's man? What's up, boys? How we doing? We're doing all right. So um, I would have to imagine you guys are talking a lot of blues. Yes. A lot of a lot of baseball. Yes. Can I talk to you for a second about my Tigers? Yeah. Mizzou? Luther Burden, man. That's huge. I'm on cloud nine. <laughs> We're rooting for Georgia in that one. Uh, five-star wide receiver, if you haven't heard. Luther Burden, the number six overall player in the 2022 class from East St. Louis, played previously at Cardinal Ritter here in, on the Missouri side. He's an absolute stud. I made the comp earlier today. If you're looking for like the style of player, Jeremy Macklin-esque, great returner, can run good routes. Once he gets the balls, ball in his hands, he is electric. Would you make of this yesterday? I know you're you're a Central Michigan fan, yeah. but. When Missouri does well, it's good for all of us because Absolutely. it brings some interest to college football around here. You know, the who's number who's number one right now in the nation? Georgia. Georgia's number one. They happen to be, yeah. What has what has Kirby Smart done better than any head coach outside of Nick Saban? Recruit. Recruit. And maybe even better than Nick Saban in re, in the last couple of years. The first thing that he did was he he locked down the borders. We hear that term a lot in college football. Hey, lock down the borders. And all, all that means, and a lot of people already know this, but make sure that you're you're recruiting within your own area and you're not losing kids like this one yep so eli drinkwitz has essentially done and i know he's got a long way to go mizzou season is not gone 
great. I expected uh, a little bit more. Maybe that's more on no, me. Everybody did. I expected more out of this point. So so things aren't going great right now from an on-field standpoint. You get better because of days like this. And the reason that Kirby Smart and George has had so much success is he stopped the pipeline of Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney constantly going into Georgia and taking all of Georgia's best players. Smart said, that's that's it. Not only that, I'm going to go to Bama. I'm going to go to Louisiana. I'm going to go to, you know, Carol, the Carolinas. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab some of your guys as well. And now Georgia's number one in the nation. So this is a huge day for Mizzou. It's a huge day for Eli Drinkwitz. You, ha- you have to be able to recruit. And I think Drinkwitz is going to do a great job on two fronts. And it's going to be recruiting and it's going to be with his, his offense. Because, like, you look at Coach O, Coach O is going to be done at LSU. What does he do well? Outside it, outside recruit, and he used to be a defensive line coach, but he had that position because he was a good recruiter. There you go. He recruited well. What does he do? What does Coach O do for you on on Saturdays? Yep. Not much. He was a CEO. That, that's what they used to say, right? Exactly. We're gonna, we're gonna bring this guy in. He's gonna have two big time hotshot coordinators. The problem is, and we saw it at LSU. What happens when those guys get hired elsewhere? Because yep. they're going to. If they're really good at your program, other teams are gonna want them. They're gonna offer them three to four millions. You're paying them one to two. And now they're in Carolina as the offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers. That's or right. they're the head coach at Baylor. Like, this is what happens when you have that kind of a setup. And then the next guys have to come in and be just as good. Right. And eventually you're going to miss. Exactly. And that's what happened at LSU. You know, if you, and I'm not saying the, the, the CEO coach doesn't work, but I think Matt Rule's done a really good job with the Panthers. And he, he bounced around a little bit in the college ranks. And I don't even say bounced around. He got elevated each, each step he went. And he did a nice job. But he was able to hire coordinators Unlike guys like, you know, Urban Meyer in Jacksonville, he's finding out the, the hard way that if you're the CEO type and you don't have good coordinators and that roster isn't good as it is, you're going to you're going to die. You're going to die a pretty quick death. So I for me, if I'm a Mizzou guy, I need you to recruit and I need you to install that offense. That offense has got to be humming at some yeah. point. And this is this is how you accomplish both. And Eli Drinkwitz had a nice day. And he's doing it at the positions that matter. Their offensive line, they've got a few guys committed to next year's class that are ranked pretty highly. They've got a quarterback that's a top 10 quarterback in the country ranked in next year's class. Now you get the number one receiver in next year's class. Passing is how you win in the modern game, right? You need to be able to run the football, especially in college football, but the passing game is how you reach that ceiling that you're talking about. And they're starting to get the talent in there that's going to allow them to expand what their offense is in the passing game. It's been limited there so far this season. They've got to be better. Luther Burden is a big po- big player to get there. And you mentioned the closing down the borders. That doesn't mean he has to get 100% of the players. No. Like, you don't have to get every four and five star that's coming out of Kansas City or St. Louis. Can you get 50% of them? Right. Can you get 60% of them? If you can do that, if there's 10 in any given year, get six of them. Get five of them. If you can do that, now at a place like Missouri, you go out to Texas, you get the three-star that's underrated that you think you can bring in, and two years from now he becomes a starter for you. That's how you start building the program. That's the way that Gary Pinkle did it. The yeah. foundation's been laid for you. You've seen what the blueprint is. You've just got to be able to follow it. And, and you beat me to the punch by bringing up Gary Pinkle, who did such a, an incredible job of finding, you know, guys that I mean, I, I can't remember. I think I think I think Spoon, Sean Weatherspoon, yeah, went to star. and he was he was in Texas, you know, Jasper, mm-hmm. Texas. But but I think William Moore was a two or three star guy that 
I think uh, New Madrid. Is like that what the it was? Boot Hill here. And, yeah. So, you know, you find you find a couple of guys Denario like them. Alexander was a lowly rated guy. Michael Sam, I think, was a two-star out of Texas. Yeah, you, you elevate those guys. And Pinkle did a, did such a good job. But, you know, every once in a while you have to get that Ezekiel Elliott to, to swing to come to come to Mizzou as opposed to going to Ohio State. I don't know if a guy like Eli Drinkwitz, if he was recruiting Zeke at that at that time, would get Zeke to stay in, at you know go to Mizzou maybe maybe he just always had the Big Ten or, or or Ohio State on his radar but you gotta land some of those Ezekiel Elliott's along the way and Eli did that today looking forward to hearing what you guys have what's coming up from two to six so we're gonna talk to we're gonna talk plenty of blues we're gonna talk plenty of Cardinals as you mentioned we're gonna talk to Jeremy Rutherford at three fifteen we got Danny Mack coming up at four thirty I know that uh, Curbs just shared the the breaking news essentially at least on a local level of who's going to start on that line now that Buchnevich is is out and it's going to be Jake Neighbors Jamie has not stopped raving about Jake Neighbors we had Peruby on yesterday Peruby un, unprovoked talked talked about Jake Neighbors so I'm excited to, to to watch this kid play tonight and Robin Leonard is not played well I know it's only been two games but he got pulled the other night who he could have seen this coming? Good. You get rid of a Vezina Trophy winning uh, goalie, and then maybe right. you, you take a little bit of a step back. <laughs> Who could have seen it coming? I'm looking forward to that. Fast lane coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11, right here on 101 ESPN. Mm. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today.